What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chat. This is episode number 86. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Not much. I'm excited. Let's talk Neon Dynasty. But before we do, I I know it's kind of far in the future, but we have our spoiler card ready for New Capenna. That's oh right. We've gosh. already got our spoiler for New Capenna. Look, like other people, they're getting their predictions, they're getting their spoilers out there extra early. We got to stay ahead of the content curve, you know. We got to stay relevant. Yeah, that's true. So, what 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 is our chaffiest card that that the the mothership has bestowed upon us for New Capenna? Oh, uh, you're gonna read it. You oh, have god. it right in front of you, don't you see? Oh god, <laughs> this is where bits crumble because I'm not good on my feet like this. <laughs> All right, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, we do have a long episode before us today. This week is. Well, release week. We're into our new set. Neon Dynasty is here. We're we're back to Kamigawa for the first time in what decades? It's been a long time. Yeah. And uh, so today's our format breakdown. We're gonna cover each and every archetype of the format and some of the the kind of top cards you can look out for to make sure that your first handful of drafts uh, go a little more smoothly than they might otherwise have. Before we get into all of that, our usual housekeeping, of course. If you're not in the Discord, check it out. Especially at the beginning of a new format, it's going to pop off. People are going to be posting their trophies. We always like to tout the first person to post a trophy in our Trophy Dex uh, channel. So, pressure's on. Get those out there. Um, Andy is is one of our, I think, probably holds the most first trophies in the Discord. So, let's see if, if Andy pulls out another one here. I'm going to go for it this set, but we'll see if I can actually get there. Same here. Um... And so the link to that is in the, the episode description as well as in our Twitter page if you want to check out the Discord. And if you want to support us directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge shout out to our latest patron, Sean. Thank you so much for your patronage. We really appreciate your support as well as the support of all of our other patrons. Really, we're beyond grateful. And as part of our um, Perks over there, you can you can get things like stickers, show notes, um, unedited recordings of the show, as well as our Draft Chaff Hero cards sent to you, signed by us. Um, it seems like folks really enjoy that, so keep an eye out for those if you've joined recently. And we're planning a couple of things to come back. We we have at some point had certain, certain features of the Patreon that we kind of have played around with to see what works for us, what doesn't, what works for our patrons, and what doesn't. We hit a goal before of uh, $50 a month on the Patreon to put videos of our episodes up on YouTube. We're back to that goal, so we are planning to kind of revitalize that effort. We'll see how regular they are. Hopefully, uh, we can get those out there. That's sort of uh, on me to get the editing for both the show and the videos done. So we'll see if I can scrap that together and make it work. That is the plan, at least for now. And we have some cool ideas for how we're going to spice those up and make them a little bit better than they were before and then our other big sort of thing that we had that we unfortunately due to sort of scheduling issues we had to remove was coaching and we really enjoyed the coaching time and the folks who um, were involved with that on the patron side were I, I'm sure pretty sad that it went away and we always had a good time with them so we're going to sort of bring it back and we'd love to get your feedback on this if this is something that that you folks would like to see more of but the plan is going forward we're going to start hosting 
office hours. And basically it'll be once, maybe twice a month where we'll open a channel in the Discord and we'll just sit and hang out and whoever wants to join it for the hour or so that we're going to be on there can come in, ask us questions, interact with us, any of that sort of stuff. And we'll just hang out um, and it'll be, we'll announce the dates for those um, at the beginning of every month to make sure that folks can sort of plan around making that happen. We're aiming for Thursday evenings, Eastern Standard Time. So if you're interested in that, let us know in the Discord. It's kind of our bridge to get back to coaching. Yeah, I'm super excited. I, I really kind of miss the, the coaching experience. So uh, are we are we highly qualified? Perhaps not as much as other folks that are out there, but uh, I don't know. I can boast a 65% vow win rate. <laughs> That's something, right? Yeah, uh, I was going to say, we are probably not qualified. You might be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Uh, anywho, big, big shout out to Sean again. Thank you very much. And, and for all the patrons that are out there, um, you know, you're all the best. Uh, you help us out more than you could ever imagine. We're not going to do a cracker draft type thing this week because let's just crack a set, right? Let's just get into Neon Dynasty. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Before we do get into that, we have a couple of things here. Our Teferi Tybalt, which is our Roses and Thorns style of segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Ben, Teferi Tybalt, what's going on this week? Oh, man. Well, the day that this episode releases, we're going to be at a pre-release together. We're, we're hitting up pre-release up in uh, New York City. So anyone that happens to be in the area, maybe we'll run into you. That'll be super fun. Very excited to get to use some of the draft chaff sleeves that we have. To <laughs> be honest, just haven't gotten to use of a lack of in-person events and such but you know finally get to show off the the swag that'll be fun get to jam some paper modern i finally have your belated gifts for both christmas and your birthday you should see how Ooh. many stamps are on this box from from your birthday gift and and from christmas like so there's it probably let's say like 25 stamps or so on this thing <laughs> it came from halfway around the world I, I hope it's not too underwhelming when i finally give it to you <laughs> but uh, the, the hype almost has surpassed the, uh, the, the, the the actual magnitude of the gift itself. Now, uh, s some rough stuff. This week has just been nuts. Like, just things happening nonstop. This past weekend, I went down to South Jersey, and then I was in Philly, and then I was in New York City, like, th three days in a row. Did tons of fun stuff. Went to some museums, saw some bands perform. It was, it was great. This week, I got observed. Those teachers out there, you know how it is. It was a surprise observation. It is awful. <laughs> and everyone tends to hate those. But I got so lucky. This is, uh, I guess, a bit of Teferi mixed in with my Tybalt of getting observed. I kind of like hamming it up <laughs> while, I'm, while I'm being observed. Because um, when I'm, I, I happen to get observed for my astronomy class. And I'm really in my element there. We were doing a uh, lesson about horoscopes. And the night before, I had just gotten back from New York City. I was exhausted. It was like 11. Uh, I had to be up for school at 6 the next day. And I'm like, I should just go to sleep. But my astronomy lesson's a little bit weak for tomorrow. I should probably fix this up. I spent two hours working on it. And then the next day, like first thing in the morning, someone comes in and is like, hey, I'm observing your astronomy class right now. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. Nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for this. Like we were doing like arts and crafts and talking about each other's horoscopes and talking about the historical context of horoscopes. It, it was honestly pretty fun. It could have gone way, way worse. Um, overall, just not a lot of time to sit down and, and think or rest, but at least we'll have some, some good stuff to do at pre-release, right? That, that counts as sitting down and resting. Yeah, unfortunately, this time around, we're not catching a two-headed giant pre-release, which means yeah. I'm going to have to crush you. But, you know, it'll <laughs> when be, we're it'll inevitably be good. paired, we'll oh, split yeah, for, we'll split for prize, right? We'll, we'll split when we're in the top two. 
Right, unless we get paired against each other first round, which also happens fairly frequently. <laughs> it does. Uh, more more frequently than you'd expect, statistically. So for me, my Teferi this week is, of course, I'm going to echo Ben with the Teferi, the pre-release sort of, and then getting to play modern in paper is going to be a lot of fun. Always a huge fan of that kind of stuff. Uh, my sister's also visiting me this weekend with her fiance, so that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to hit up a steakhouse and get some good food and just kind of hang out. Um, I haven't really been able to show my sister around uh, my area in like, Basically, since I was in college, it's been a long time, and I know the place a little bit better at this point, so it'll be nice to kind of show her around. My Tybalt is probably one of the weirdest things that I've ever experienced, and that okay. is one of my fish has disappeared. <laughs> uh, say more? Right. So if you're a long longer-term listener, back in like May, you might recall me talking about getting a fish tank. And yeah. so I have, I had a 20 gallon aquarium and I had about 13 dozen fish in there and I moved at the end of the summer. Most of the fish didn't survive the move. They, they all kind of started dying off like right after I got them in place. So I guess they technically survived the move, but they didn't survive much longer past the move. Mm-hmm. But I had two angelfish that were in there for a long time and were doing great. One of those angelfish died eventually and it wasn't too long ago that that one died. The other, the other angelfish was just a trooper, just hanging out, doing its thing. And I saw it one night as I, I came home from, I don't know, I was out for something. Came home, I saw it before I went to bed. Woke up the next day, and like midday, I went to feed the fish, and I don't see the fish in there. Like, it's just not in there. Uh-huh. Right, so it's just not in there. And I looked all around the tank. I moved a bunch of the stuff in the tank around. No body, no anything. I thought maybe it died and it was like stuck somewhere under like one of the plants or something and so i moved everything around can't find it i looked in the filter can't find it i have no idea what happened to this fish and it's an angel fish it's not like it's like super small that it'd be easy to miss yeah those are larger is there something in the tank that could have eaten it it's the only fish in the tank dog in there oh (laughs) so it's just gone it's just gone and i'm like maybe it jumped out and my dog ate it or something but there's a lid on the tank so how how could it get out like that i don't know I'm just so confused. I still have no uh, I, idea. It's been like four days since I noticed uh, it missing and it still hasn't appeared anywhere. Like I'm getting ready to empty the tank well, out and, <laughs> and like tear <laughs> stuff down because I don't know what happened to it. I, I have some, it's good news and bad news. It sounds like the bad news is that your fish might be gone. The good news is that I think your fish is a planeswalker and it's something must have ignited That's its probably spark it. and it's just, it's just out. <laughs> we, we haven't seen any, any fish or merfolk planeswalkers, have we? Yeah. Oh, Kiora. Kiora, yeah, Kiora, Kiora kind of counts. I guess she's as close to a fish as we're going to get. Yeah. But no, 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 like actual fish. <laughs> this might be a first. All right. So, on to our listener question of the week. And this week, our question comes from Batwheels. Very timely question. Batwheels says I keep trying to figure out what the absolute necessary items I need for prep for a new set are. Should I listen to multiple set reviews, look over card tier lists, podcasts, archetype skeletons, etc.? What do you guys do for prep? And if you don't have much time, what is the one thing you have to do before a set drops? This is a really good question. Mm. We've had similar questions in the past, but the answer to this, at least for me, and I'm I'm pretty sure Ben's the same way, has changed since we started the show. My prep before the show was basically pre-release, and that was about it. Now having the show, I typically will try to listen to at least one set review I will comb through the spoiler on Scryfall or Magic Spoiler or something of that sort. And then I'll also try to just make sure I understand what combat tricks are available in the format, what instant speed effects are out there, 
And that's kind of it. In terms of like trying to play the games and not just like care about the show necessarily, I always would try to get a few practice drafts in from DraftSim. That helps me a lot. I'm a visual learner, so I need to kind of see the cards in context with other cards to understand like from the come the draft portion of of drafting. I like what am I supposed to do and which cards should I take over other cards? So I love to get a few a, a few drafts in on DraftSim. And archetype skeletons I think are a big deal because I mean, you kind of get those two, and that's why we structured our format breakdown shows the way we did. You kind of get those through the signpost uncommons, but sometimes it's a little more nuanced than that, and, and understanding which cards you should keep your eye out for has been very helpful for me. Yeah, to kind of answer the second part first, if there's one thing I absolutely must do, it's read every single word on every new card. And I, that sounds kind of weird, but I make sure I have read every line of text on every new card. Just like make sure I've seen every crew cost, every uh, every mana value, every everything that could come up so that nothing surprises me at pre-release. Uh, I think both of us have at this point in our magic careers, pretty solid understandings of the way limited sets are designed. I don't know if we could make our limited set, though we have tried our, that, our hand at that during cube. Right. But uh, we know that there's going to be a white instant that deals with an attacking or blocking creature, right? We know there's going to be a red combat trick that gives like plus three plus X in some ability, right? So we kind of know what to look for. And it's really just the stuff at higher rarity or these twists on, on some of the typical commons that we want to get a good handle on before going into pre-release. I sometimes also listen to, you know, other podcasts. Uh, the LR set reviews are, are obviously a gold standard. And then uh, I've really been enjoying the archetype skeletons. Uh, so shout out to everyone that's been uh, handling those. Maybe we can link to some of those in the in the description. Yeah, good stuff. But let's get into the main topic. Time to talk uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, the format breakdown. So we're going to chat about each of the two color archetypes. Maybe even some, some little, little side things along the way. For each section, we're going to talk about the gold uncommon, which has become known as the signpost uncommon, and uh, a few cards of each color in that archetype that we think will be pretty important things to look out for, stuff to discuss. At the end, we will cover our picks for top commons in each color. All right, so before we get into all that, of course, it's a new set, so we do want to cover the new mechanics. And the first of those is reconfigure. Now, reconfigure essentially works like a weird combination between typical equipments and bestow, if you were around for original Theros or original Theros block. So it's kind of like bestow, but a bit better. They're typically on rate or slightly below rate artifact creatures that can attach to other creatures thanks to being equipments. They have the equipment subtype and you can equip them via their reconfigure cost. But the trick with reconfigure is that not only can you attach reconfigure equipments to creatures, they are themselves creatures when they're not attached and you can pay the reconfigure cost to unequip them. Normal equipments don't have an ability to unequip. They just sit there unless you move them to another creature explicitly. And like I said, with reconfigure creatures, they are creatures when they're not attached to things. A little side note, you can reconfigure a creature from one onto another Correct. creature, as far as my understanding. Just it kind of works like usual artifact equip ability. Right, yeah, you just have the ability to essentially unequip them to nothing uh, pay the equip cost and move it to nothing and mm -hmm. typically these are similar to bestow creatures in that they provide they tend to provide the stats of the base creature itself there is some exception to this so pay attention to the cards themselves and, and make sure you read what they do but uh, that's typically what we're seeing mm -hmm. sometimes it gives the stats sometimes it's just the stat box and not the power and toughness sometimes it's just the power and toughness uh, it, it's a, a whole thing so uh, read it in context 
Next up, we've got sagas, but this time they have a uh, a twist to them, or a flip, if you will. So, uh, and actually, every, every color got them at all rarities, common sagas uh, as well. This time, uh, when they hit chapter three, they exile and return to the battlefield as creatures. So notably, this is kind of slow. Most of them don't have haste, especially the non-red ones. So the creature is really only attacking three turns after you cast this uh, this saga. But this is, this is kind of cool. It means that they are basically enchantment creatures. The backsides all are enchantment creatures. Uh, so they're affected by things that affect enchantments. Uh, they're affected by things that care about enchantments entering the battlefield because they exile. And I guess... I guess that exile is some kind of templating so that they don't keep the lore counters. No, so <laughs> that, that's actually an interesting point. Apparently, they brought this up in something. I overheard this on LR. They, The design team originally designed them such that they didn't exile, and they found that they were just a little too powerful if they didn't lose the ability to attack right away. They wanted to give players the ability to interact with them before you got to attack. So they hmm. added the exile clause to kind of offset that. But... Yeah, basically they they bounce themselves and they come back as creatures. Pretty much all of the red ones come back with haste. And then there's like a couple, I think maybe one or two green ones that also come in with haste. But outside of that, they they don't really. Some of these are very good. Some of them are not. And we're going to have to, we'll we'll see some of them as we move through the rest of the, the show here. Next up is Channel. And no, we're not talking about the card channel, but channel is sort of a flavor ability, sort of, in that um, when you see channel on a card, it, it, it basically implies there's a cost you have to pay and you have to discard the card and then it does some effect. The effect is completely different between all of the, all the different cards. So it's an ability of a card that can be activated from hand, similar to think like cycle, um, where you can pay the cost from hand. They can't be countered, and they provide flexibility in your mana usage. Usually you'll see a lot of things like a really expensive creature with a cheap channel cost, and that means that you can, if you have it in your opener, you can pay the cheap channel cost, get the effect, and you can um, not worry about the creature being so expensive, and then if you drew it late game, you can just play the expensive creature. Also notable, you channel at instant speed, so a lot of those effects keep in mind that, that you can do them on your opponent's turn as well as yours. We saw foretell, cycling, uh, these kind of hand smoothing or game smoothing. It kind of smooths out the texture of the game by providing efficiency and mana uh, and flexibility in how you spend your mana, giving you options, right? This is kind of the options mechanic for the set because it gives you the options to either spend uh, a little bit of mana on the channel ability, they tend to be cheaper, or more mana on the actual hard cast in the creature itself. Now, Sometimes that the creature will be not the best and the channel ability will be not the best. But keep in mind, you have that flexibility. You're getting both of those in one package. Uh, if you top deck your pump spell on turn nine and it's also able to be cast as like a six drop, that's that's pretty good overall. Next up, vehicles are back. We've been seeing vehicles kind of one or two sprinkled in every set, but this time it's a full on archetype. They can be crewed. Uh, you have to tap a creature in order to pay the crew cost so that it turns into a creature and then can activate and do all sorts of stuff. The pilot subtype is back, uh, and these pilots seem better at crewing than normal creatures, especially the tokens that are able to crew as though their power was too greater. And basically nothing has more than crew three. If it's, if it's higher than that, you're really asking for something. So those little pilots are going to be able to take care of most of your crewing. We actually see a lot of creatures in this set that, or a lot of vehicles in this set that are crew two. And it feels a little awkward because they they like over crewed by the by these like little dorks. But um, hey, they get the job done. 
Keep in mind that this makes untapping shenanigans a little bit better. If you can look for ways to untap your creatures that have also crewed or find a way to untap them uh, at instant speed. Uh, basically, as a general rule, if a vehicle has crew one, nice. Like anything can crew it. Uh, you're pretty happy with that as long as it's not too understated. Uh, crew two, you know, you're okay with it. You'll usually play a thing, but now you're probably tapping like a real creature, not a token. Crew three, that will often require you to tap, you know, your big ground blocker or two smaller creatures. That's a real cost. So uh, if, keep that in mind while evaluating vehicles. Yeah, it's also worth mentioning most vehicles that are crew three aren't going to be excessively powerful. So you might be tapping a three power creature to turn on a three power creature. And if your goal is to just mm -hmm. get in the red zone, maybe that's not as efficient as you necessarily want it to be. So keep those things in mind as well as you're evaluating those as well. Next up here we have Modified, and Modified is more of a description than anything similar to Historic, if, you, if anybody remembers that back from like original Dominaria, where a creature is considered to be modified if it has either an equipment on it, an aura on it, or counters of any kind. Not just plus one, plus one counters. In this set, we'll see a lot of plus one, plus one counters, but for future sets or EDH or any of those other formats you might play, it, it does count just any counters at all. So I did a little bit of research. Apparently the technical name for this is batching. It's called a, a batching term, according to R&D slang. And other batching terms, like you mentioned, historic. A party is a batching term. And uh, if you go into the unsets, decorated. And that's if your card is like a, a promo or has alt art or alt card frames. I wish they'd incorporate a little bit of that into limited sometime, but I guess we'll save it for the unsets, right? Yeah, and then another thing to keep in mind here with the modified keyword is that a lot of auras in this set and equipments in this set target artifacts or creatures. So when a vehicle stops being a creature, they don't fall off. When a reconfigured artifact that's been equipped to something it becomes a creature again or vice versa, they don't fall off. So that's just something else to keep in mind. Auras are a little bit more flexible in this set, so... Keep that in mind. And there are a lot of cards that care about be like creatures being modified. Um, so it's something to pay attention to, but it's all over the place. So it's going to be pretty easy to, to see modified creatures in this format. And finally, ninjutsu. I'll be honest. This mechanic scares me. As someone who is about like this, this mechanic is about as far from the way I like to play magic as possible. Like bouncing the stuff, sneaking stuff into play. Like uh, Give it to me. Give uh, it to blue me. Blue and black stuff. I love yeah, this okay. mechanic. Well, Whatever. I, I, I got this. I got this. I know how it works. And actually, I did some research so I'd understand a little better because there's some weird timing things involved with this. So you can so when you pay the ninjutsu cost for a creature, you return an unblocked attacking creature to its owner's hand, usually yours. Uh, and then you put that ninja into play tapped and attacking. So sometimes it'll have like a special effect if it's uh, just entering the battlefield that turn or maybe you, you uh, use this to sneak a larger creature into play whereas you had originally been attacking with a smaller one maybe you're using this to bounce a smaller creature that has a good end of the battlefield effect now this can only be activated during the declare blockers combat damage or end of combat steps as long as you have an unblocked attacking creature. So Zareth San, the trickster, was a little bit different than this. It was kind of templated like ninjutsu, and that one kind of made a lot of sense, but you could do that at any time. Uh, also, it had flash. You didn't have to be attacking. You could just kind of flash it in. Whereas uh, these ninjas, it must be unblocked. So if you just are like declaring your attackers before any kind of blockers have been declared, they're neither blocked nor unblocked. Blocking phase just hasn't happened yet. So. 
you can only yeah you can only activate ninjutsu when a thing is technically defined as it is not blocked this turn by a creature right and that's why there are there are steps specific steps that you can activate this ability during right it's only the declare blockers combat damage or com- or end of combat steps which is interesting because that does mean that you could let your first creature get in for damage and then ninjutsu your your second creature in after damage which is a bit interesting mm-hmm. most cards that care about being ninjutsu in want to hit your opponent so you're probably never going to do that but yeah it's something to keep in mind it is technically possible to do it that way this is also a keyword that you'll want to look out for cards that say they can't be blocked. There's a handful of them in the set that will get in uh, more easily than others. Things with evasion are also going to play really nicely with ninjutsu cards. So things to keep in mind when it comes to ninjutsu. All right. On to our actual archetypes here. This is where we get into the nitty gritty. We're going to talk about all these different two color archetypes. And we're going to start off here with white blue, which is typically one of my favorite archetypes. Though in the past... White blue's been a bit sad. <laughs> Let, let's <laughs> let's leave it at that to keep it PC, I guess. Um, this time around, we've got an interesting change in the way white blue is sort of focused and oriented. And our signpost uncommon is Prodigy's Prototype. It's one white blue for a 3-4 artifact vehicle at uncommon. And it says, whenever one or more vehicles you control attack, create a 1-1 colorless pilot creature token with this creature of cruise vehicles as though its power were two or greater. And then the prototype crew has crew two. So it's a three mana three, four with crew two that generates a one, one that can crew as a three X when it attacks. It generates that creature when it attacks. Now it's worth mentioning. This doesn't count per vehicle attacking. It's just, as long as you have a vehicle attacking, you get one of them and that's it. There's no way to get more than one per combat step, but this seems nice. It's a three mana three, four, vehicles like it's hard to really tell if being overstated as a vehicle is is means it's actually overstated typically if you see an overstated mm-hmm. vehicle it's probably just on par but i think those pilots are going to matter uh, quite a bit in this archetype yeah those pilots free up your other creatures to keep doing attacking and blocking i, I like that once you get the first attack in with the vehicle you can then just use that creature to continue crewing this uh, this just has the ability to make a chain of one ones and that's kind of fine on its own uh a 3-4 won't be able to attack forever, so maybe look for other ways to make sure this gets in. But, you know, white and blue, you're going to have ways to pump your creatures, grant evasion, that type of thing, lock down your opponent's stuff. Uh, I like it. I don't think it's anything to write home about, but, uh, yeah, plus, also, just look at that art. I love that they took d- vehicles in this direction of giant futuristic mechs. Oh, yeah. Like, can we talk about Dragonfly suit? Look at this thing. It looks like um, it's a Gundam. Pacific Rim. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's totally a Gundam. So, Dragonfly suit yeah. is two, white, two and a white for a 3-2 vehicle with flying and crew one at common. Like, it's just a three-mana three-two that literally anything can crew, and it's got flying. I love it. I think it's a really good card for this deck. Maybe slightly understated, but a three mana three two flyer is really solid. And then again, pretty much anything can crew this, so it's going to be able to be a creature whenever you want it to. And the fact that this has crew one means that it is actively being upgraded, like you're turning your one one tokens into a real card, rather than like I said, with something that might have crew three, where you need a three drop or multiple creatures to deal three damage in in some cases. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with Dragonfly Suit. Yeah, you definitely want this to be crewed by a one-power creature. 
right? Like this is the kind of one where it would feel bad if you're using like you're tapping your three three on the ground to get in three in the air. Then it's kind of like ah, you're down a creature overall in the exchange. But when you're using one of these one one tokens or uh, maybe like a, a one one that has an ETB effect that you already kind of got your value out of, then this is just going to be great for sure. Next up is Hotshot Mechanic. This is a one drop, just one white for a 2-1 Fox Pilot at Uncommon Star Fox, anybody? And yep. Hot Fox Mechanic says, Hotshot hot Mechanic crews vehicles as though its power were two greater. So it can crew as if it had four power, basically. Unless it's modified, right? You could modify it so it might be able to crew bigger than that by putting plus one, plus one counters on it, all that sort of stuff. But at, at, by itself, it crews as though it had four power. Yeah, uh, this can just get in to your opponent for the first few turns, right? And then eventually uh, you'll, you'll just start, well, when this thing gets outclassed, have it hop in a dragonfly suit. And then, then it can just start chipping in. You're crewing with your one drop, so you didn't invest that much into it. And plus, like a, a one mana 2-1 has just, you know, historically been a great way so that your opponent starts out at like 16 or 14 rather than 20. Uh, dragonfly suit in this aggressive archetype is going to like that. All right, so we have one other, uh, we have two other cards here actually for this archetype. And the next one is Suit Up, which is two and a blue for an instant at common. And it says, until end of turn, target creature or vehicle becomes an artifact creature with base power and toughness 4-5, draw a card. So it's three mana, turn a creature into a 4-5. You can turn your art your vehicles on for with this, and then you it replaces itself, right? So it's it's just a solid way to get beef up some stats. Maybe turn those 1-1 one, one pilot creature tokens into 4-5s. Or maybe you're just turning a vehicle on for a couple of mana when you don't have maybe any other ways to do so. Yeah, I, I like this little trick. <laughs> also, awesome flavor. Like, it, it really did it. So one of the worst things that can happen is if you have just no creatures in play and you have a vehicle sitting there and you're just kind of staring at the top of your library wondering when you're going to top deck. This kind of takes care of it and it replaces itself right away too. These types of tricks tend to be bad, but I don't know. This could be the one that breaks the mold. Yeah, I don't see you really using this on your turn. I mean, it does have instant speed, so that kind of tips you in on that fact. But four or five is serious, like they're serious stats, and you could have a dragonfly suit on the battlefield that has nothing to crew it, right? And then your opponent attacks in with a four four, and suddenly you're like, cool, gotcha. Let me suit up, draw mm -hmm. my card, and we'll move on. Now, we have one other vehicle here that I think is worth mentioning for this archetype, and that is Mobilizer Mech. It's one and a blue for a three four at uncommon, and it has flying. So already it's a two mana three four flyer which just sounds ridiculous. Nope. It does have crew three, however. So this is one where it's uh, kind of in an awkward spot, <laughs> but it also has some more text. And that says whenever mobilizer mech becomes crude up to one other target vehicle you control becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. So you get to double crew with this. If you can crew three, you can crew two, cre two vehicles for the price of one and just get in the, in the air. Like if you had the dragonfly suit out, or any literally any other vehicle. You've got a three four flyer, a three two flyer, or maybe some some other kind of flyer. It just seems like a really good card to have in this archetype. It isn't uncommon, but basically no other deck is going to want this, I would imagine. And mm -hmm. uh, so I think you should be able to pick up as many of these as you need, and it, it's going to do work in this deck. Imagine the curve that we just described, right? Hot shot mechanic into mobilizer mech into prodigy's prototype. You get to swing with the mech uh, on, on turn three, make a 1-1 one, one to keep crewing it that's from then incredible. on. Yeah, that's disgusting, right? Like, th this seems like a really cool aggro deck. I also, keep an eye out for, like, other little artifact synergies. Even the hotshot mechanic is an artifact itself, right? Uh, white and blue are just going to have a bunch of artifacts kind of hanging around. Not as many. White tends to favor enchantments, but 
you know, it'll still have some. All right, let's talk ninjas. How did I get stuck with this one, right? Let's talk about Silver Fur Master. Uh, it's blue-black for a 2-2 rat ninja at Uncommon. Uh, it has ninjutsu for blue-black. Ninjutsu abilities you activate cost one less to activate. Other ninja and rogue creatures you control get plus one, plus one. It's interesting that they put this, this kind of uh, ninja and rogue synergy in. I guess they learned from their last experience on Kamigawa where everything was just kind of bottled into the set itself. Uh, they couldn't really make these these ninjas apply elsewhere because they don't really work on many other planes. And uh, they ended up doing the same thing with samurai and warriors in the set too. Pretty cool card. The card itself isn't exactly a mana dork, right? It's not like some of the other cost reducers that we see in this set later on that, you know, just always reduce mana because sometimes maybe uh, the ninjutsu ability, yeah, you can get a good discount on it, but maybe you're, you're hard casting your ninja so you can attack first. Yeah, I don't know. You're, you're very rarely going to ninjutsu this in, right? Like, when would you rather do this than just play it? You, you'll be able to add mana for this. And when it feel, when you get to cast, like, two cards, where you, you would have originally only been able to cast one off this, when you get to ninja in two things, it's going to feel pretty broken. And it's also a lord. It's a two mana, two, two lord for your ninja deck. Like, this is, this is really good. Yeah, I think that's the only reason you would really ninjutsu this in, is you have really good attacks. And then your opponent might make blocks a certain way. And then you ninjutsu this in and suddenly everything gets plus one, plus one. And now you're what were like medium blocks for your opponent turn out to be like really bad blocks. I think that's about the only situation where I could see ninjutsuing this in. You're probably just going to want to play this on two mana. Like if you draw this for two, mm -hmm. turn two, just play it and let your other ninjutsu cards get the reduction. But yeah, it seems fine. I mean, it's it's very clearly indicating what we're trying to do here in blue black. Hey, well, I've got an even better curve. How about you start on turn one with a network disruptor? It's one blue for an artifact creature. It's a Moonfolk Rogue. It is flying. And when Network Disruptor enters the battlefield, tap target permanent. It's a 1-1. One, one. This is a nice little 1-1 one, one flyer. This just feels right at home in this deck. The fact that, you know, the ETB tap target permanent, not the most relevant on turn one, right? But that means that this is kind of a removal spell in the late game. And when you get to nin uh, Ninjutsu this back into your hand, it's so cheap. And it's kind of a repeatable removal spell in a way. It's a repeatable good tempo spell. This makes sure that you're going to have a, uh, a way to tap down their key blocker. This sometimes feels like exactly what you're going to want to top deck in the late game. Maybe you would look at the board state and say, well, uh, what, do, what do I have in my deck that can win me the game if I top deck it? Network Disruptor, my one drop. I could tap down their flyer. I could attack for the win. Like that's a lot of abilities for a, a little 1-1 one -one flyer. Also, it's a rogue. Uh, so if you play it on turn one and then silver for a master, you're just going to start smacking them for two every turn. Right, yeah. It becomes like a really formidable attacker. And then it has a super relevant ability that is going to let you continue to ninjutsu and kind of self-perpetuate. And yeah, this is just a super solid card. I'm, I'm really excited to see this in action. Yeah, I feel like every ninja's deck just wants like four or five. I don't enemies, think you right? can play too many of them, though. I think I found out what happened to your fish. <laughs> Let's take a look at Prosperous Thief. Look at that art, dude. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Two and a blue for a 3-2 human ninja. Uh, it has ninjutsu for one and a blue. So that's the, uh, the the cost you have to pay to activate it. Whenever one or more ninja or rogue creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, create a treasure token. Neat. Yeah, so the, the kind of the joke here, right? The, like the ninjutsu thing is like you are swapping this out with some unblocked creatures. So you're going to hit with this and get the effect right away. And then hopefully in the future, more ninjas or rogues are going to get in. So this is solid. I, I really like it as well. It's like a weird way to get ramp and blue, but I love it. Mm -hmm. Something to keep in mind is that you're really scared of uh, of attacking creatures when you see your opponent has blue mana up, right? Blue or black mana. You're like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, sure. I could just 
they're attacking me with a network disruptor, right? And I have a 1-1 flyer. Sure, I'll, I'll get hit by this. Then boom, they slam down a Prosperous Thief. They've added the mana. They've ramped themselves. And now they have a 3-2 in play. They bounce the network disruptor back to their hand. But who cares? It costs one and it taps down one of your things to open up their attacks. This is a... Ugh, these decks scare me, dude. They're really <laughs> I don't like sweet. It. Especially because these decks can also... I mean, you're doing this at instant speed, even though you're confined to a specific set specific subset of of combat you're doing it at instant speed so you could still leave up combat tricks you can still leave up other other sorts of effects if they decide to do the block you know maybe they're scared enough of the ninjutsu that they try to block and you're like combat trick got you anyway and a lot of these cards have like real effects associated with them like like Dakuchi silencer yeah let's talk about it one in the black for a 2-1 human ninja it has ninjutsu for one of the blacks so you're not actually getting a discount but when it Deals combat damage to a player. You may discard a creature card. When you do, destroy target creature or planeswalker that player controls. So this... Gross. Yeah, it, it sounds gross. This this is a little bit weird because it doesn't really go one for one, right? Or you, you're, you were one for oneing. It's not like you're just eating a card from your opponent. It's not Chupacabra because yeah. you do have to discard a creature, which means you're discarding like a real card. But you do get to pick off whatever you want. So... You can trade like your yeah. network disruptor that's no longer doing anything for you, which probably won't happen with that particular card. But you might have some other stuff in your hand that just isn't doing anything for you. You pitch that to get rid of their big bomb. Sounds pretty decent. This reminds me of Tiger Tribe Hunter from from AFR, which was a an underrated card that I absolutely loved. Uh, this is something similar. This allows you to trade that card for their card, but I think it is a little bit better. You're breaking the synergy because you haven't put any mana into that creature yet where your opponent that's did. true you're just free casting a doom blade from your hand uh and yeah discarding a creature is a high cost and sometimes you won't have any creatures in your hand and it'll be kind of embarrassing with, with you this won't hand, though right? that won't happen right because you can ninjutsu this in and you've bounced the creature to your no hand. way so you will always that's if gross. you're doing the ninjutsu thing you'll always have a creature in hand and you can make sure that say like i said with a network disruptor maybe you're attacking with a one one flyer it gets in you swap this out, now you discard your 1-1 flyer, and there you go. You get to convert your 1-1 flyer into a card that kills like their 5-mana, 6-mana bomb. All I can say is that I hope I'm big brain enough to play this deck properly. Like, I don't know for sure if I will be. Uh, if, like, just like the, the optimal play lines here... Like when you have so many options, it's like, oh, I'm going to run out the timers on Arena, <laughs> like figuring out every possible ninjutsu attack. I'm excited, though. This, this will be cool. Uh, let's talk about Nizumi Prowler real quick. Uh, one of the black for a 3-2. It's a rat ninja. This one's an artifact creature. Uh, and it has ninjutsu for one of the black. When it enters the battlefield, target creature you control gains death touch and lifelink until end of turn. This is just so versatile. Yeah, it's pretty solid. You just pick off whatever your opponent has, gain yourself some life. It's a very swingy card that will do pretty well when you're behind, I think. And definitely do well when you're ahead. So seems pretty solid. You can make this thing have Death Touch and Lifelink. You can make a thing you're, uh, like, that you're also attacking with have Death Touch and Lifelink. Maybe you choose to let a bigger thing get through and give that Death Touch and Lifelink, whereas the smaller things just get picked off. Or you give the smaller thing Death Touch. This, this just seems really flexible. Kind of like a removal spell. All right, on to Black Red. And this time around, Black Red is pretty sack-oriented. So our signpost uncommon is Oni Cult Anvil. It's black red for an artifact at uncommon. Whenever one or more artifacts you control leave the battlefield during your turn, create a 1-1 one, one colorless construct artifact creature token. This ability triggers only once each turn. And then you can tap and sack any artifact and Oni Cult Anvil deals one damage to each opponent. You gain one life. So black red here is all about sacking artifacts. 
and having artifacts leave the battlefield in some way, shape, or form. And then obviously the, the Oni Cult Anvil itself does this nice little drain thing if you can generate enough artifacts to kind of do this repeatedly. And then you're, you're generating, when your artifacts leave the battlefield, you're generating artifacts as well. So it kind of helps self-perpetuate as well. And we have a lot of artifacts in this set. So let's let's go through some of them. Plenty of them are creatures as well. This reminds me of Hidden Stockpile from Kaladesh. Remember that one, the, the white black enchantment? That one was very similar. It kind of kept a, a steady stream of servos coming once per turn, and then you could sacrifice them. Uh, and if you had revolted that turn, you get another one. Uh, this feels very similar in that you know, it lets you sacrifice a thing a turn, and then you can use these to get other stuff. It gives you the out to sacrifice it yourself, so maybe you're pinging with something or, or something else. But this also provides a steady stream of fodder for other sacrifice effects. Right, so our first card here is Experimental Synthesizer. This is red for a common artifact. When it enters the battlefield or leaves the battlefield, exile the top card of your library. Until end of turn, you may play that card. And you can pay two in a red and sack it to create a 2-2 white samurai creature with vigilance. Activate only as a sorcery. So you're going to see this a lot with uh, some of these artifacts. They enter the battlefield and then they do something when they ETB and then they give you some way to sack it. So this is a great way to enable the anvil. It's a great way to enable a lot of the other synergies that this archetype is looking for. And really you're going to want to capitalize on all of these sorts of artifacts that have both enters the battlefield and maybe leaves the battlefield effects as well. So next up we have Leech Gauntlet. This card is stunning. I love this card. It's one in a black for a 2-2 equipment leech at uncommon, and it has lifelink, and then equipped creature has lifelink, and reconfigure four. So the reconfigure cost is pretty high. I think you you don't typically want to pay four mana to give your creature lifelink, but with all the modification stuff going around and you're trying to kind of beef up some of these creatures, I, I think you'll actually want to do that every every now and then. Otherwise, it's just a two mana 2-2 two, two with lifelink. Like, we play those all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, sometimes this will just get in for a bit of lifelink. But then this is kind of one that maybe you don't want to trade off. Maybe you'll just wait. Maybe you could equip it to Scrapyard Steelbreaker. Yeah, Scrapyard Steelbreaker is a three and a red human warrior at common. It's a three, four, and it has the ability pay one and sack another artifact to give it plus two, plus one until end of turn. This is kind of our Nantuko husk of the format, and it's going yeah. to be bonkers. I was thinking the same thing. I love a Nantuko husk. This is such a threat of activation. They could have nerfed this by saying, like, activate only as a sorcery or only once each turn, but they didn't. And the last time they made that mistake was Nantuko husk and, and, and other similar stuff. Um, what was the four drop one? Uh, the one from, what was it, Dominaria? Dowd Omnivore, that, that's what it was. Uh, this is very similar, but... You know, this just sacks artifacts. Um, Oni Cult Anvil itself is an artifact. It sounds like this deck is just going to have a lot of artifacts laying around. This could easily attack with, I don't know, nine power. Yeah, I could also see this working such that you've done a bunch of work. You've got a, maybe a handful of those 1-1 one, one colorless construct artifacts. You swing with this thing and you can just pump it a bunch by getting rid of your 1-1s. One Seems fine. It doesn't have trample, so you do have to make sure that, that your creature is going to get through. But it, it's one of those threat of activation things where it's a three four on its own so it's going to get some serious damage in it over a couple of turns anyway and your opponent's not going to want to throw big creatures in front of it because anytime basically you can just buff it and they're going to lose their creature as well so yeah seems really sweet i'm excited to see this one in play on my side of the board and i'm sure i'll be disappointed to see it on my opponent's side and our last card here for Red Black is Dragon Spark Reactor. This is one red for an uncommon artifact. When it or another artifact enters the battlefield under your control, put a charge counter on it, and then you can pay four and dis uh, four and sacrifice it, and it deals damage equal to the number of charge counters on it to target player, and that much damage to up to one target creature. 
This sounds really good. I mean, it's kind of reminds me of Guy's Flame Reservoir from Midnight Hunt. It's definitely worse than that, but this is an, an uncommon and not a rare, so I kind of expect it to be worse. But it should play out pretty nicely. I mean, you can put a bunch of charge counters on this, let like just let it build up, and then eventually this could just dome your opponent for the win. And if not, it's also going to remove one of their creatures. I like this hits both creature and opponent because the rate itself, not the right. best thing in the world, right? It's a little bit slow. Think like six mana, deal four to your opponent, four to a creature uh, in the right deck. Now, if you can start getting this up to like seven, eight, nine, then it's it's looking a little nuts to, to pay six total mana to just hit your opponent for like nine or ten damage. And remove right? any creature. Uh, and with the Oni Cold Anvil, yeah, with, with Oni Cold Anvil, it seems pretty doable. Yeah, we're gonna see. It, we're gonna have to see just how many artifacts you're willing to have leave the battlefield and how easy it's going to be to have that happen. But there are a lot of incidental artifact creatures. And creatures just die in limited. Like, that's just going to happen. So, yeah, I'm excited to see how this works out. This deck looks fun. All right, next up, red-green, which honestly is quickly rising through the ranks. Is one of my favorite limited archetypes overall. Just like, I've, I've really found myself at home in red-green decks. I don't know if it's because I often have Halana and Elena in said red-green decks, but but uh, I guess this will be a test, right? Let's, uh, let's check out Invigorating Hot Spring. First of all, whenever we ask a guest the question, like, what magic card art do you most want to be stuck in? This is clearly the new answer, yeah. right? I just want to hang out this monkey. Yeah, this is this is MVP there. One red green for an enchantment. It enters the battlefield with four plus one plus one counters on it. It says modified creatures you control have haste. Again, just a reminder, equipment, auras, and counters are modifications. Auras you control, that is. You can remove a plus one plus one counter from the hot spring to put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Activate only as a sorcery and only once each turn. Yep. Yeah, it's just gas. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> love it. Uh, I love that this kind of lets you do it the turn it comes in and the turn after. So you play a two drop, play uh, this on turn three, immediately move a counter, immediately swing. It kind of makes up for the fact that it's not the best tempo play. You're skipping out on playing a three drop for this, but then your four drop is coming down bigger and hastier. Yeah, it's, it's really nice that it modifies creatures on its own, so you don't have to worry about doing anything extra to set that up. So yeah, you're going to get that haste on any creature you're putting the token on, or putting the counter on. Now, of course, red and green are full of other ways to modify your creatures. We can talk about bronze plate boar. That's the tuna red 3-2 equipment boar. It's a reconfigured card, of course. It's an artifact creature. It has trample. The equipped creature gets plus three plus two and has trample and the reconfigure cost is five this is kind of a pricey reconfigure cost uh usually the three mana three two trample of the set is just kind of there right like in in crimson vow it was it was there you know you could play it you weren't ashamed or anything but it wasn't the best thing in the world here it has some upside right if you ever find yourself in the spot where your four four and their four four are just staring at each other you can just slap this thing onto your four four and all of a sudden you get a massive trampler and if they kill it who cares you get your three two back right yeah that, that's kind of the nice thing about the reconfigure here is while they're equipped they aren't creatures so they can't be targeted by things, so you just slap them on something else, let that thing get the benefits of being modified, and then when it dies, eventually you get a, you get your creature out of it. You also mentioned Rabbit Battery. falls in a similar camp. That's one red for a 1-1 one, one Equipment Rabbit. Man, I just look at this. <laughs> this is so stupid. It's so much fun. Look, look at this little rabbit. Just kind of springing forward. It's got haste. It, the equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and has haste. And it has reconfigure for just one red. I also think of these cards as functional in, uh, artifacts that just kind of say creatures you control have haste. Because it's not too hard in the late game to just have that, to find that one extra red mana. You typically don't want to play like, I don't know, your three drop on turn four, your four drop on turn five. 
but maybe you can sneak this in and, and uh, reconfigure on a turn when you didn't have uh, your perfect curve filler, right? Uh, these one mana effects like this tend to be pretty powerful. And this is one that you can just kind of move around from, from creature to creature. And sure, eventually they might kill all your creatures if they one for one just a bunch. Then you still got a 1-1. One, one. They can still attack them. And then you top deck another 3-3, three, three, you just suit it up and you got a 4-4 four, four haste. Like, this feels really strong. Yeah, this is just a super cheap way to get another modified creature if you need to. And as we'll see with not only this archetype, but a handful of others as well, it, it really matters to have that, that status of being modified. Foiling Stalker is one of the green for a 2-1 Snake Ninja with Ninjutsu for one of the green. Green Ninjas. Who would have thought? Uh, when it deals combat damage to a player, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control that doesn't have a plus one, plus one counter on it. It's kind of a weird, uh, weird line of text there. I guess it's to prevent this thing from just snowballing. You play this on turn two, your opponent doesn't have their turn two, or I guess that maybe their, their turn three play is something weird and they can't block it, and then this thing just gets out of control, long tusk cub style. Maybe they wanted to prevent that. I guess. Yeah, I think this would just get way out of hand if it if it didn't have that clause. But really, this is just going to help modify your whole board, right? It's it's going to put a counter on everything. Mm -hmm. You can ninjutsu it in, so it's definitely going to hit once if you can get something unblocked. And then from then on out, like any extra upside, and it can hit itself too with that counter the first time around. So you don't even need other creatures on board to to get the benefit there. And it's just an overall super solid two drop. Yeah, of course, putting the counter on itself makes it easier for it to get in the next time. And uh, you know, you could move some counters from Invigorating Hot Spring onto it uh, before you put the counter on it, or or after, I guess. Yeah, I like it. It's cool. Uh, and let's talk about Careful Cultivation. This is two and a green for an aura. It enchants an artifact or creature. Like you mentioned earlier, most auras in this set can enchant either artifacts or creatures. As long as enchanted permanent is a creature, it gets plus one plus three and has reach and tap to add for two green. You can also channel it, pay one of the green, discard to create a one one green human monk creature token with tap to add one green. So these channel cards, they kind of have multiple cards that we're used to seeing in the format kind of baked together. We're used to seeing a three mana aura that like buffs toughness and taps for extra mana and that kind of thing. We're used to seeing a two drop that taps for one mana and has small stats. You get both in this card. Yeah, super flexible. Cool. I don't know. This one's a little bit weird in that it's it's very close in mana costs and it has very similar effects. So I don't know how often you're mm -hmm. going to want to channel this one. Though I suppose if you have no board, like you top deck this and you just have like next to no board, you're just going to channel it to get the creature. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't. But it seems like most of the time you're going to actually play this for the effect it has. And I love that they did this with the enchant artifact or creature thing, because this means that when you're when you reconfigure creatures, stop being creatures. These auras aren't going to fall off of them. And same to be said with your vehicles. And that's just. Very nice design. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I wonder if this is why not all of the reconfigure cards just grant their literal text box, right? Like, why don't, why doesn't Rabbit Battery, for example, just say this gives whatever the power and toughness of Rabbit Battery are? Maybe it's because they were worried about people slapping careful cultivation onto Rabbit Battery and then Rabbit Battery gives everything plus two plus four in haste. Oh, yeah. For That's probably just too one, good. Yeah, it'd be absurd. Yeah. Careful cultivation. I'm going to keep an eye on this one. I don't love these effects that are just kind of like the, the add extra mana or the extra toughness or the thing that gives reach. But this has all of that and the ability to make a 1-1 that can tap for, uh, for a mana. And, you know, red and green tend to be able to use that extra mana pretty well. 
Uh, I want to try this one out, I think. Yeah, it, it seems pretty decent. Next up, we have green-white, and green-white here, our signpost uncommon is Jukai Naturalist. This is green-white for a 2-2 human monk at uncommon. It's an enchantment creature, and it has lifelink. It also says enchantment spells you cast cost one less to cast, and this is huge because, like the artifacts, there is a lot of enchantment creatures in this set. We're going to see a few of them here, but basically you're going to reduce the cost on all of them by one, and that's that's pretty solid. There are also just plenty of enchantments, period, outside of the, the enchantment creatures, so we're going to see a lot of those, and it's really solid. I'm a big fan of, of cost reduction kind of spells. This one is, is a little bit more potent, I think, than the last one we looked at, because it's not just targeting a specific ability, but it's targeting an entire card type. So let's take a look at some cards here. We've got Blossom Prancer, and I know every time Ben sees this, he's going to get tilted. But Ew. it's three yeah. green green for a four four creature spirit at uncommon. It looks like an elk, but it doesn't have the subtype elk. So that's why Ben's upset about it. <laughs> so that. beautiful. It just had to say elk on it. Like, come on. When Blossom Prancer enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a creature or enchantment card from among them. Put them, put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. If you didn't put a card in your hand this way, you gain four life. So just like throwing use four life for your trouble if you happen to whiff. And otherwise, it's a five mana four four with reach that just gives you potentially another card i think it's super solid just just a card you're probably going to see in all of these green white decks yeah so many options i love this it's big it stabilizes you i mean if you're getting beaten down by small flyers this is exactly the card you want to see right a four four uh, reach gain four for five mana yeah absolutely next up we have greater tanuki four green green for a six five enchantment creature dog at common it has trample but it also has channel and it channels for two and a green discard it Search your library for basic land, put it on the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. So it's a six mana, six five with trample that you can just pay three mana to cycle it for a, a basic land. That's pretty dope because it puts the land on the battlefield. So big. So this plays yeah. really well in pairs. Like if you have multiples of these, it's just going to be really good. You can kind of ramp into your second copy of it. And I love this card. I think you're going to see it in just about every green deck. Yeah, no, no notes, right? Like we know Colossal Dreadmall at this point is good uh and when it has a cool little upside like this where you don't really have to worry i mean like can, usually you don't want to play like four or six drops in your limited deck right but when they kind of help you get there i'd probably eh. play like three of these and still be pretty happy about it yeah unless it turns out that you really can't afford to take turn three off to ramp in this format yeah. which you know some of these decks have been pretty aggressive like the the blue white deck and the blue black deck have looked like they can really get off the fast starts Red green seems a little chunkier yeah. than, than those two. Uh, maybe less sleek, you might say. Uh, so I guess we'll see how much time we have. But otherwise, I mean, this will stabilize you. It's a 6-5 trample. Yeah, imagine, though, having like the Jukai Naturalist on two. And then this is already going to cost one less. And then you can ramp into it on three. It's just like, it's Man. just absurd. And our next card here is Sky Blessed Samurai. This is six and a white for an enchantment creature, Human Samurai at Uncommon. It's a 4-4. Four four. This spell costs one less to cast for each enchantment you control. And it has flying. So, like, reasonably nope. speaking, given the number of enchantment creatures in this format, you're probably going to be casting this on four pretty often. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's a, so then it's a four mana, four, four flyer. And then anything above that is just icing on the cake. Like, you could cast this for two mana if you really get, get there with the deck. Like, come on. I mean, Jukai Naturalist by itself brings this down to five. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that, that's already off to a great start. Yeah, like you said... This kind of, I mean, the, the, the ceiling on this is really high. And the floor is not that low. I mean, you're almost never casting this at seven. Like, 
If you're no, putting this in your yeah, deck, you're just, just not, not play, casting this at seven. Yeah, you, you probably want... I mean, if you have under 10 enchantments, you might be getting a little bit... Maybe under like six or seven enchantments. Then it's starting to get a little suspicious. But if you have maybe like eight or nine plus enchantments, you should be pretty happy with this. And our last card here is Befriending the Moths. This is a saga at Common. And it's three and a white for, for a saga. And the first two chapters are the same. Target creature you control gets plus one, plus one, and gains flying until end of turn. And the third chapter, it exiles and flips into Imperial Moth, which is an enchantment creature insect. It's a 2-4 with flying. So you just buff a couple creatures, buff a creature per turn for two turns, give them flying, let them get in, and then you have a 2-4 flyer. Is this supposed to be Mothra? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, I do like the cool pattern. A lot of these arts are just dope. Now, those of us that played AFR that kind of, you know, trudged and suffered our way through that limited format for a long time figured out that Arborea Pegasus was a cool way to win the game. Uh, Arborea Pegasus uh, targeting a giant to smack in for a million flying damage. That ended up being a really good way to close things out. And then the fact that it provided the 2-3 flying body in the end was nice. This reminds me of that card a lot, except we get the jump twice and then we get a 2-4 flying at the end of it. So imagine you go Jukai Naturalist on two into Befriending the Moths on three. You know, you target your Naturalist with the 2-2. Uh, the two -two. You smack him for three in the air with Lifelink. You're about to do it again the next turn. And then you're still like ramping into other stuff with the Naturalist. And then eventually you end up with a 2-4 Flyer. Or if you top deck this and get to jump your Tanuki. Oh yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, the Jukai Naturalist really can't be overstated. This is a Mana Dork. And uh, this is a Mana Dork that will sometimes add multiple mana every turn. So... You know, just ramping into a four drop on turn three is one of the one of the less cool things you can do when you get to play multiple two drops on, on turn uh, three as well. Uh, that That's another way it can go really well. Honestly, just just pop off with it. See how it goes. Next up, we've got black white and our signpost on common here is Naomi Pillar of Order. This is a cool vector. This is a really cool vector. And I think it kind of feels as though it was one of the last designed in the set. I don't know. It, it kind of has that energy. Sometimes green black gets stuck with this where it's like, well, clearly blue white. They were like, oh, let's make mecha vehicles. And uh, I don't know, blue black, easily just ninjas. Yeah, let's get the ninjas in there. Red, white, samurai, black, white, uh, the leftovers, right? <laughs> right. Like a little bit of both, you know, combine, play, play both sides, if you will. But I actually really like this one. This signpost, Naomi Pillar of Order, is three white black for a 4-4 legendary creature, Human Advisor. Not a lot of the other ones are legendary, so that's interesting. Uh, whenever Naomi enters the battlefield or attacks, if you control an artifact and an enchantment, create a 2-2 white samurai creature token with vigilance. Cool. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I mean, it's that's a serious payoff. It's repeatable. It, Naomi itself is a 4-4, so you know they're going to get in pretty regularly at least be able to battle you know and hopefully by turn five you'll be able to have both an artifact and an enchantment to get the etb trigger off of this but then you're just getting two twos that have vigilance like that's really solid yeah uh you know of course if you just can make a steady stream of two twos that's pretty pretty solid on its own two twos not the biggest things in the world but you get enough of them they start to be pretty useful i want to mention banishing slash too that has a very similar effect that's white white for a sorcery Destroy up to one target artifact, enchantment, or tapped creature. And then if you control an artifact and an enchantment, create a 2-2 white samurai creature token with vigilance. So a very similar payoff. And this set, as we've seen so far, is full of artifact and enchantment creatures. Sagas, vehicles, this hits all of that, and then also tapped creatures. So uh, this seems really solid. It might look kind of like sideboard hate, but this is just a main deckable card in this format, absolutely. 
Yeah. Let's talk about ancestral katana. That's one of the white for an equipment. Whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, you may pay one. When you do, attach ancestral katana to it. Now it looks like this is a little weird. Oh, it has equip. Uh, this equip three, and uh, the equipped creature gets plus two plus one. So it looks a little strange, but I think this archetype is gonna need these. Uh, leftovers you might say uh, it might not get the highest picks because i think a lot of other archetypes are gonna take up like maybe like the the cool on theme artifacts and enchantments for for example the mobilizer mech like uh, that's that's i know it's blue but that's uh, an example of an artifact that the blue white deck kind of specifically wants i think the black white deck is going to have to spend some pretty high picks on the ones that maybe nobody else wants to guarantee that they can get both an artifact and an enchantment in play at bo- uh, at once. Yeah, and I mean, I, the Ancestral Katana is just a good card. It's a two-mana artifact that gives plus two, plus one, and you can just equip it for one if you have a samurai or warrior do the thing. Obviously, this fits more into the red-white archetype, which we'll get to in a little bit, but it's just solid. I mean, Naomi pumps out samurai, so you, you, you'll be able to kind of get that trigger on its own, and there are a handful of black samurai in this format as well that, that you'll be able to get, like, Nizumi Blade Blesser which we'll talk about in a second. But I think this card is going to be pretty solid. You don't really want to pay three to equip this, but if you can get the the equip for one, it's really solid. And it's an artifact on its own. It's going to be making it easier for you to get through. Like, it seems, yeah, it just seems solid. Yeah, great way to make use of those uh, those two two tokens. Four threes, that's, that four three vigilance, that's a great attacker. Nizumi Blade Blesser, like you mentioned, that's two and a black for a three two rat samurai at common. It has death touch as long as you control an artifact. It has menace as long as you control an enchantment. And uh, the flavor text really does sum up this archetype, this vector, really well. Uh, it says, it's not one or the other, Kami or technology. Both offer power. I will not limit myself. Very uh, black approach to this uh, war between uh, the, the encroaching technology and the traditional spiritualism. I like it. It's cool. For sure. And uh, we've got Dockside Chef here with some delicious looking ramen. There, well, mostly there delicious. There is an eyeball in there, yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, 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 you know. Look, to each their own, I'm not going to bash it before I've tried it, but, uh, you know, is it human eyeball? I don't, never mind. I don't want to dig into this. Dig into this. Maybe I do want to dig into this. Maybe I don't want to dig into this. It's also unclear whether or not I want to dig into this. Uh, one black for a 1-2 enchantment creature. It's a human citizen. It's an uncommon. And it has one of the black sacrifice an artifact or a creature. Draw a card. Nice. Uh, this is a way to also, again, make use of some extra tokens you've got laying around. Uh, I could see this... This archetype, again, playing uh, this kind of a pair. There's a one of the white for a dog when it enters the battlefield, draw a card. It's an enchantment creature. And there's one of the black for an insect. When it enters the battlefield, they discard a card. It's an artifact creature. So I could see this deck taking those pretty high. Like I said, uh, trying to just draw in some more gas to turn on these these really cool effects, right? Like turning on Naomi, turning on the Blade Blesser, that's going to be a, a very immediate goal for this vector. Uh, if they can't do that, you're just playing a five mana four four and a three mana t- three two. Like that's that's kind of embarrassing. So you're really gonna want to control that artifact and enchantment. And a lot of these cards help you get there, right? The katana is an artifact, the chef is an enchantment. And the chef is a way to turn those little one ones or other, you know, random little artifacts you got laying around into value. Yeah, but I'm also very excited for this card for my kitchen deck in EDH. Uh it's gonna be a super auto include. Oh, a super a super auto include is that what you said <laughs> on to black green and black green here is kind of what we've seen before in that it doesn't it also kind of doesn't quite have a real identity but our signpost in common here is gloom shrieker it's one black green for a 2-1 enchantment creature cat beast that uncommon it has menace 
And when it enters the battlefield, return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. If it would die, exile it instead. So you can't loop these together. And it's also a three mana card. So like how often are you playing this on curve and actually getting something back? Probably not very often. So it seems like this is a card you may not want to play on curve. But graveyard recursion seems to be the name of the game for black green. I've got the uh, I've got the perfect combo for you. Turn two, discard careful cultivation to make the one one that taps. Turn three, play this, get it back. There you go. Start ramping, start attacking with menace. This card is dope. Yeah, it's I mean it's definitely a cool card. It just I, the timing of how it works out is going to be something interesting to see. Maybe you'll have used a combat trick or something. Yeah. Uh, you do have to get you can only target permanents though, so I guess that doesn't quite work. But it's um basically an eternal witness. Pretty close. I think this is a sneaky hint that black and green will care a bit about channeling stuff, particularly in green, just because channel tends to be on permanence and this can get those permanents back. Right. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, it lets you channel. Man, man, imagine channeling your your Tanuki, you know, the greater Tanuki, and then you can just get this back later in the game with the Gloom Trigger. That, that sounds like a really good plan. Perfect. Yeah. Our first card here is Jukai Preserver. It's three and a green for a 3-3 three, three enchantment creature, Human Druid at Common. When Jukai Preserver enters the battlefield, put a 1-1 one, one counter on target creature you control, and then it has channel two and a green, discard it, put a 1-1 one, one counter on each of up to two creatures you control. This is another one that's going to be a great include in the red-green deck, but it's just another, it's a nice ETB effect to get back with the Gloom Shrieker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, th- this is just a good rate overall. That channel is a nice little combat trick. You can just put stuff, put these counters on at instant speed. And honestly, uh, this th- this archetypal... Four mana, three, three that, you know, creates like a one, one token or puts a one, one counter on something. This tends to be pretty solid, uh, especially with modified. The, the green aspect of black green will care about that. And if this thing hits the graveyard, well, it is a good enters the battlefield value to get back. Our next card here is Undercity Scrounger. This is two and a black for a one, four artifact creature, human rogue at common. And it says tap, create a treasure token. Activate only if a creature died this turn. Mm, so black mana dorks. Yeah, yeah, kind of a mana dork here. It's not exactly super synergistic, but this archetype doesn't seem to care too much about synergy. It's really just in included here because, well, it wants your creatures to die and you can get those back with the Gloom Trigger. Is this a Sailor of Means that just keeps making more treasures? Basically, yeah. It's a little <laughs> bit harder to turn on, right? Like, you're not guaranteed to get that first one even, but... Okay, now hear me out. When I see this... I see five color black green. Okay, that could be really eh, cool. Yeah. Eh, there's an Okagachi in this set that that you require all five colors of mana. I think uh, Kyodai, the soul of Kamigawa, also requires five colors to activate. There's there's a way. <laughs> there, there's a way to do it. Pump out a bunch of treasures of this thing, right? Channel the, the Tanukis a bunch to go grab other off-color basic lands. Yeah. Oh, oh man. that It's too nonsensical. It can't. It can't work. We'll right? draft it before the end of the set. Uh, we'll draft it before the end of the first week. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Oh, yeah, yeah. Day one, pre-release. It's, it's going to happen. And our last card here is Master's Rebuke. This is one and a green for an instant at common. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature or planeswalker you don't control. Your typical bite spell. Uh, nice to see another one of these. We haven't seen one that's like this robust in a while i feel just your, your really good your standard two mana bite spell at instant speed so uh pretty nice to see that and pretty much auto include in every green deck you're never going to want to cut these yep totally no complaints just notably there's a lot of ways to augment power whether through reconfiguring or putting counters on stuff 
Uh, so it shouldn't be too hard to make this into a pretty unconditional removal spell. Just be careful you don't get blown out. Uh, as a general rule, eye up how much mana your opponent has open before you cast something that relies on your, your creature sticking in play. Next up is green-blue. Time to ramp it up. This is uh, <laughs> this, this archetype is going big. We have Colossal Sky Turtle. Man, this is dope. Uh, four green, green, blue. I wonder why this one has double green at its cost. It's kind of weird, right? I suppose. Yeah, it, it seems a little strange. Hmm. Maybe they're worried about people splashing it. Uh, I don't know. This has flying and ward too. Did I mention it's an enchantment creature turtle at uncommon? This thing is this thing is so cool. What a sweet design. It's a six five. Again, a 6-5 flying ward 2. That's huge. It has channel, 2 and a green, discard colossal sky total, return target card from your graveyard to your hand. So nice little regrowth effect. It also has channel for 1 and a blue, discard colossal sky total, return target creature to its owner's hand. So an unsummon, a regrowth, or a 6-5 flying ward 2 for 7. I mean, if you want to go big, uh, this is why you do it, right? Oh, yeah. This card has so many options, it's kind of embarrassing. Like, it's a 7-mana 6-5 flyer, but hey, you can cast it on 2, you can cast it on 3. Whatever you need it to fit your curve, it's basically going to do the job, and it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. And frankly, it's nice because the channels are different colors, so if you're, like, screwed on one color, you can still channel on the other. Like, I, it's just it's just beautiful. I love everything about this card. Obviously, if there is a five-color green deck of some sort, this will go in it pretty nicely. Oh, uh, yeah. Like you said, the flexibility color-wise. Yeah, this is a, a late-game win con. So this is not an aggressive vector, this, this blue-green deck. This is saying that you do not want the game to end on turn five or six, whether by your attacks or your opponents. You want this game to end on turn, like, ten, uh, as they take, like, huge chunks in the air from your 6-5 flyer. So the question is, how are you going to get to the late game? How about a 1-1 death touch? That tends to slow down the game. Fang of Shigeki is a 1-1 uh, enchantment creature. It's a snake ninja. I like that they just kind of added on enchantment artifacts to these random cards. It's going to make artifact and enchantment removal better. Uh, it's also going to buff up the things that you have that care about controlling artifacts and enchantments. Uh, again, this is a 1-1 green, one, one enchantment creature, snake ninja, at common. It has death touch. Yeah, these are always great to just slow your opponents down. Like, you can't attack through these, and it's going to help you get to that later game where you are slamming your sky turtles and closing things out in the air. Yeah, don't be afraid to hang on to these for a little bit. You don't have to trade this for their 2-2. Hang back. You know, your opponent's going to play 4-cost stuff, 5-cost stuff. These functionally are, are green removal spells. Let's talk about Mirror Shell Crab. Five blue blue for a 5-7 artifact creature. It's a crab at common. It has ward three and it has channel. Two and a blue, discard a Mirror Shell Crab. Counter target spell or ability unless its controller pays three. Spell or ability. So you could counter like a Saga activation, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, you could probably counter... Can you counter channel spells? channel effects with this they go on the stack so i think you can uh yeah i would say so this it would be an ability that goes in the stack let's, let's plant our flag and say so uh, if you disagree hop in the discord and we'll, we'll we'll duke it out there but yeah no i don't see why not it would be an activated ability from the from the card in hand this again it kind of combines these two what are typically seen as mediocre cards right like a seven mana hex proof type thing uh, we've seen that before. Uh, and a three-mana counterspell that's got something weird going on about it. We've seen that before, too. This is both in one. That's some flexibility. 
this also gives you something to do during the time when you are maybe like it's a little bit strange you might be playing out your lands and passing with mana up hoping to eventually hit that seventh land to play the mirror shell crab but then maybe they play their their six drop bomb and you're like okay i have the counter spell for it anyway i guess there was no downside to playing out these lands so i just get to counter it instead yeah a, a nice little late game card pretty flexible not the best card in the world. You don't want 10 of them in your deck. But I think if there is a super slow blue-green, like, just get to the late game archetype, this card will be pretty key for that vector. Yeah, it's just really nice to see a lot of these, like, really big creatures that have really cheap effects that you can do early if you don't have the ability to wait to cast the creature. I always love seeing stuff like this. Again, we've seen it with Cycle. We've seen it with a handful of other things like Fortel. They're just great. And in this case, you know, you you might, in a deck like this where you're basically playing land go, you can keep up a counterspell through the channel. You can keep up other channels like Greater Tanuki to throw that at instant speed and get your extra land out, which is going to help you ramp it as well. Like, it's just so flexible that I think you're going to see plenty of these running around in these green-blue decks. There's actually a pair of strange creatures that I wanted to mention here. Speaking of ways to get to the late game for sure, you know, things that will just brick your opponent in place. Uh, defenders that are overstatted. Guardians of Aboro is two and a blue for a 3-4 Moonfolk Samurai at common. It is defender and modified creatures you control can attack as though they didn't have defender. So this thing just, you know, just jumps in front of anything your opponent's doing. This can trade for pretty much any two drop, any three drop, and most four drops, some five drops even. This is just a huge defender to get in the way. And then if you can put a counter on it through one of those cards we mentioned before in green or, or you know, suited up with uh, with an equipment, then your blue stuff can start getting in, your defending stuff can start getting in in the late game to, to close it out. Bam Grove Archer is the other one that kind of is the pair to this. One of the green for a 3-3 defender reach. <laughs> Sorry to all the little 1-1 flyers, but you're not getting through a 3-3 defender reach. That thing is huge. You can also channel it, pay four and a green, discard it, destroy target creature with flying. So another little versatile thing you can you can do there. Um, I, it's an awful lot of mana to destroy a flyer, but I guess if you're in desperate need and the 3-3 three, three reach isn't good enough by itself, which I think it often will be. But these just overstatted defenders will just really brick any kind of aggressive game plan. If you're red-white and your opponent goes, all right, 3-3, three, three, go. Like, what are you going to do about it? You look at your hands, you don't have the pump spell, you don't have the kill spell. The game's about to slow down, and the blue-green deck can make good use of that. All right, our next archetype here is blue-red, and our signpost in common is Enthusiastic Mechanaut. It's blue and a red for a 2-2 artifact creature, Goblin Artificer at Uncommon. It has flying and artifact spells you cast cost one less to cast. I feel like they sat down at the beginning of the set, and they're like, how many signposts in commons can we make mana dorks? <laughs> <laughs> all of them <laughs> make it happen yeah um but this is basically your goblin electromancer with flying and it's just going to uh reduce the cost of artifacts so another sort of archetype here or vector that cares about artifacts now an interesting point of note i guess is that this one just kind of cares about you having them and casting them it doesn't really care about you doing stuff with them whereas like black red cares about them leaving the battlefield mostly um so of course cards like dragon spark reactor which we mentioned in black red are going to are going to be great it'll be a one mana spell that etbs and then you all of your other artifacts that are entering the battlefield cost less so you can cast more of them um, a new card we have here is tawashi song shaper it's one in a red for a 2-2 artifact creature human artificer at common whenever another artifact enters the battlefield under your control tawashi song shaper gets plus one plus zero until end of turn so this is a nice little way to buff it up 
if the if you have the enthusiastic mechanaut out, you're going to be reducing the cost of those artifacts so you can cast more of them per turn, buff this thing up. Again, this is the kind of card, it doesn't have trample or anything, so no matter how much you buff it, if they can just throw a 2-2 at it, then then you're probably not getting through on attacks anyway. But You know what this reminds me of? You know that Samurai Jack episode where all the teenagers are at like the dance rally controlled by a coup? This, this, <laughs> oh, yeah. this has that kind of... Uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> That that kind of vibe. I like that this idea of the future where you have these awesome, super powerful body modifications and you're just using them to jam out the techno music. That's uh, I, like I love the flavor text on this card. Most uprisers augment their bodies for speed, strength, or protection, but a few just want to be one with the music. So good. And our last card here in red-blue is Heiko Yamazaki, the general. Three in a red for a 3-3 legendary creature, human samurai at uncommon. It has trample, so a four mana three three with trample. And whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, you may cast target artifact card from your graveyard this turn. So this is just a nice little way to buy back some of those artifacts that you may have sacrificed in other ways, or um, you know, get your dragon spark reactor back and get that that whole thing going once again. Mm-hmm. Or if you happen to have discarded any artifacts to channel or other abilities, you can get those back too. Uh, I actually wanted to ask you, what do you think of Moon Snare prototype? That's a, uh, it's it's. Uh, kind of like a spring leaf drum. It's a little weird. That's a single blue mana for an artifact at common. You can tap it, tap it, untapped artifact or creature you control to add a colorless mana. And you can channel it for in a blue, discard Moonstone prototype. The owner of target non-land permanent puts it on the top or bottom of their library. Is this good? It's definitely weird. It might be good in this deck. I can't tell if they're, I haven't really noticed if they're like, big artifacts that common or uncommon that you really care to try to like get the co- the extra you know effect or get get like ramped out the channel on this effect seems expensive to me like mm-hmm. five mana bounce a thing to the top like bounce one of their big creatures to the top of their library doesn't sound that awesome to me you can blank a turn from them if you put like one of their bad creatures up but then they just put it on the bottom so i i'm not really high on this card but it is an artifact, and it does technically ramp, and it's cheap. So maybe mm. we'll see it see play. But I, I'm not super high on it. Yeah, I don't love this. We were really spoiled by stuff like Burry and Books, right? Getting yeah. an effect similar to this for three. Yeah, this has some cool things, but it doesn't. For example, the channel doesn't get its cost reduced by the enthusiastic mechanaut, uh, to, to my knowledge, does it? No, because you're not casting mm-hmm. the spell. It's it's just um, like a separate ability. So I don't believe it. It gets a cost reduction there, which is also unfortunate. I mean, it is an artifact, and any. Anything that's going to care about just having artifacts will probably be decent, but it also requires you to tap something else. So by itself, this just does nothing unless you're going to channel it. So I'm not thrilled about it. We'll see if it sees play, but I'm not very high on it. All right. Our last archetype here, one that I've been excited for for a while. The exalted samurai have returned uh, and samurai are a little bit better this time around than I think uh, they were in the last time around Kamigawa. They have a pretty cool mechanic and... Boy, if there's one thing I like, it's over speculating on the uh, the quality of new red white archetype vectors. <laughs> Let's talk about Asari Captain. Three red white for a four three human samurai with haste. Already kind of cool, little little small for the body, but whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, it gets plus one plus zero until end of turn for each samurai or warrior you control. So if this thing attacks alone, it's attacking as a five three, but you know, I think it'll probably be better to, you know, attack with your four drop samurai or your two drop or three drop samurai and get some cool abilities. So uh, this vector is all about attacking with the samurai. Just one, let it go in alone, see what it can do. Let's talk about Ancestral Katana again. That's the one we said can equip cheaper when a samurai or warrior attacks alone. Just 
one mana to get that plus two plus one pretty good you know that beefs this thing up a bit oh yeah it's gonna be great and I, that's that's really the name of the game as you said attacking with one samurai or warrior i don't actually know if there are any warriors in the set off the top of my head but you're gonna there's be, a handful but kind of weirdly scattered in yeah you're gonna mostly be attacking with samurai here and i think i think it's easy to get caught up on the idea of like well, I don't want to attack with one creature. I want to attack with all my creatures. So maybe this is going to be a crappy mm. archetype. But what I really am expecting to see is you're either going to have a bunch of cards that buff your your samurai when they attack alone. So you'll have like one samurai that gets a ton of effects without needing to equip anything to it. Like it's just getting incidental effects from other creatures sitting on the board, which will let you chip in for damage in certain ways. And then eventually you'll just alpha strike and and win, win the game off the back of a full swing. I don't think you're going mm. to see this deck only ever attack with one creature like there are definitely going to be times where it's correct to to attack with a bunch but it's going to be very interesting where it, it'll look like you have good blocks and then your opponent's like attack with this one two two oh wait because i'm attacking it's getting like a million plus like plus plus a million plus zero it's getting first strike it's getting lifelink it's getting xyz and then you're like oh mm-hmm. yeah i can't block this with anything <laughs> yeah Nice little evasive creatures would be good for this too. Stuff with flying or stuff that can be backed up by combat tricks. Uh, let's talk about Peerless Samurai. That's two and a red for a 2-3. Maybe there aren't any warriors in this set, I guess. Why would they make one that isn't just a samurai now that I think about it? Who knows? Uh, uh, it's a creature. It has menace. Whenever uh, a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, the next spell you cast this turn costs one less to cast. Love seeing them play around with these kind of cost reduction effects and colors that don't get them as often uh, it smooths out games of limited and uh, casting things for cheaper is fun <laughs> can confirm this is also nice because it's the next spell you cast this turn which means it reduces your combat tricks but it also will reduce any creatures that you happen to play in, in your main two so yeah. it's again very flexible you can get the cost reduction on an artifact or a, on a combat trick if you need it otherwise you'll ramp out you know you play this on three attack with it on four ramp out your five drop that sounds pretty decent. Yeah, or play like a, a two-mana combat trick and uh, you're 3-3 you're three, three on turn four. Yeah, sweet. Uh, next up, Tempered in Solitude. That's one in a red for an enchantment at Uncommon. Whenever a creature you control attacks alone, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. Oh, and it's play, not cast. Love it. Card advantage in red-white. Let's go. Yeah, you also have... It's not a samurai necessarily, but in terms of card advantage in red-white, you've got the uh, the two-mana 2-2 two, two dog that, that just literally is just two-mana 2-2, two, two, mm. ETB draw card. I thought it was a 1-1. One, one, it might, yeah, yeah, it is 1-1. One, one. It is 1-1. One, one. Two-mana 1-1. One, one. Now, something, uh, something kind of weird about Tempered and Solitude, this doesn't just care about samurai and warriors. This could be anything. Yep. Yeah, it just, it just cares about something attacking alone. This is also kind of cool because we, we, we're kind of seeing an evolution here from Val where it cared about like two creatures attacking and now we just want the one. Oh yeah it's it's a little bit cute that way that they they put these together in sets that are like right next to each other but yeah no tempered and solitude is great you're probably not going to see too many non-samurai creatures in the red white deck there just aren't there are just so many good yeah. samurai to play around with here that i doubt that'll matter but for other formats and such it's going to be going to be worth noting yeah last year we got selfless samurai that's one of the white for a two two fox samurai Whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, it gains lifelink until end of turn. You can sacrifice self or samurai. Another target creature you control gains indestructible until end of turn. Ah, nice little, uh, little selfless savior type type thing here. I mean, I guess it's a fox instead of a, a cute little dog, but same idea. I, I'm glad this is an uncommon. I wish it was common, like really badly, because I feel like that would really boost this archetype, but it makes sense that this is an uncommon. This is a really strong effect. 
Well, we want to round out this sort of breakdown with a touch on some of the colorless cards, and then we'll go through top commons that we expect to see in each color, and then we'll wrap up with our final thoughts. So a couple of artifacts here. We've got Patchwork Automa We've got Patchwork Automaton, which is two mana, just generic mana for a 1-1 artifact creature constructed uncommon. It's got Ward 2, and whenever you cast an artifact spell, put a 1-1 counter on it. That's really solid. I mean, it's just going to sit around. You're going to get like play your artifacts there are plenty of them to play and most of them are creatures anyway so it's just gonna boost itself up and it's a two man it's a like a two drop so you're not really there's no real opportunity cost to this thing yeah like how hard is it for this to be a two mana three three ward two yeah like, and arbitrarily you're, easy right? you're, yeah you just you do no work for that to happen and every single deck is going to have at least two artifact creatures and then probably a couple of other artifacts that aren't creatures yeah this just seems like a solid card that you're happy to put in literally every deck yeah maybe green white is like the worst home for this but even there there's there's like some still i think this will be a really high pick for for blue and red decks and honestly uh, a pretty low commitment pick just to start off a draft with next up we got tawashi guidebot four generic for a 2-1 constructed uncommon when it enters the battlefield put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control and it has the activated ability four tap draw a card this ability costs one less to activate for each not for each modified creature you control so already it's casting so already it's costing three to tap and activate as long as the thing you put the counter on survives. I probably wouldn't put the counter on itself because this, I mean, look at that cute little thing. It reminds me of, um, have you ever been to those restaurants where they have the robots bring you food? I have not. It's pretty fun. Sometimes they'll have the robot escort people to their tables or like deliver takeout from the, from the kitchen up to the front. It's, uh, it's a lot. It, it's cute unnerving uncanny sometimes they have little eyes like on them but but definitely fun uh, i guess this little guy's guiding people around and uh guiding a removal spell straight towards it because this is a a card draw engine in the late game like this is the kind of thing you cannot let your opponent keep around or they will just bury you in cards yeah imagine putting this in the red green deck and it's just tap draw card oh i'm imagining <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes please now a four mana two one might not be what red green always wants maybe you're just trying to end the game this again uh kind of propels you in the late game but even just on power level i, I want to try this thing out our next card here is runaway trash bot we've got it's a three mana oh four artifact creature constructed uncommon it's got trample wait it's a zero four with trample <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but it also gets plus one plus zero for each artifact and or enchantment card in your graveyard so it seems like a solid little card to slot into black white maybe even uh red black where you're sacrificing a bunch of artifacts and things not so sure that I'm excited to play this one, but it's it's a weird card for sure. For those that don't know, this is a this is this is a Katamari reference. This has just got to be a Katamari. For those that don't know, that it's a, a video game where you have like a little. It, it's kind of hard to describe. It mostly just look at the card. Uh, it's a little dude that goes around rolling up stuff until you roll bigger and bigger stuff. Like you start with like like paper clips and coins, and you roll it, and it sticks to the ball, and then you roll the ball bigger and bigger until you're rolling up like trash cans and fruit and then you're rolling up signposts and people and then elephants and then cities until eventually you have to roll up the whole world and then it, i think it turns into a star i forget the lore i don't know it's a whole big thing uh fun video games uh and this is a cute little top-down katamari reference next up we have ecologist terrarium uh, that's just too generic for an artifact at common when it enters the battlefield you may search your library for a basic land card reveal it put it in your hand then shuffle and you can also pay to tap, sacrifice it to put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature, activate only as a sorcery. I've really been growing to love the two generic mana enters the battlefield draw a card effect. 
they really just smooth out the game. The, the one we had in the last set, the invitation that gave unblockable to the vampire and, and uh, uh, rather gave unblockable and then gave lifelink to the vampires. It was just a really nice little card to have in your decks. Uh, this one is it's just going to make so many of your two land keeps so much more keepable. Right, because when you have this on turn two guaranteed, sure you're getting off to a slower start, but you're going to have that land that you need for turn three. You're guaranteed to have it, and uh, in the late game, or mid game, you can uh, you know sorcery speed make one of your creatures modified. Next up, we have Ninja's Kunai. This is one mana for an equipment at common. It says equipped creature has one tap it, sack the Kunai. Ninja's Kunai deals three damage to any target. Equip one. A nice little uh, nod at the uh, silver bolt. We're starting to see this sort of trend of artifacts that bolt things. And this one requires a little bit of work. It's essentially three mana, tap, sack, deal three damage to something. But And you do need a creature for it to do anything. So I'm a little lower on this than I was the silver bolt. But it's a card that's going to do some stuff. And this this also, it's worth noting, doesn't work in combat. Like you can't use this to get rid of a, like a, a creature because you have to tap the creature that this is equipped to in order for it to activate. But it's a, it's an interesting ability, and it's going to save you in a, in a pinch. I mean, it is still technically a removal spell. Yeah, I actually think this is just about on par with Silver Bolt. I don't know if it's better. I like the flexibility and cost where mm. you could pay like one mana for it on one turn, another mana for the turn, uh, and then one to, you know, attach uh, and, and, you know, do the whole tap sack thing. And yeah, it's a little awkward that you have to maybe tap down a creature, but it looks like we're going to have tokens. We're going to have little artifact things. We're going to have two, two samurai uh, that could be able to do this without, you know, much downside. And I guess a two, two vigilant samurai could kind of do this in combat if, if, uh, if it really wanted to, thanks to vigilance. Uh, also, this is any target. You can just dome your opponent with this. Yeah, that's true. Last but not least... Uh, this thing is huge. Thundersteel Colossus. Colossal Dreadmall got upgraded into a vehicle, I guess. <laughs> this is kind of a, just a worse cauldron complete, I guess. Uh, seven mana, seven, seven, trample haste with crew two. Yeah, I mean, look at this. Look at this art. It's like the size of a cloud. Like, this is awesome. Seven mana, seven, seven, trample haste. So sometimes your board will be empty. You top deck this with seven lands and you go, oh, I can't crew it. Oh, well, <laughs> and it feels kind of bad. But if this is the top end to like a mid-range deck, yeah, like this will end the game. Like what, what are they going to do? Do they have like a even if they have a five five locking down the board, this just breaks clean through that. This might be a good sideboard plan uh, in kind of these late game mirrors where you really just want to smash through your opponent's line of defense. Uh, this feels like it's going to be able to attack through just about anything as long as you can crew it. Yeah, I agree. It's. And it, it basically anything can crew this. It's going to be really difficult, I think, to find a creature that can't in most cases. Real quick, uh, we mentioned all the colorless stuff, but we should mention the shrines. Uh, kind of the, the, the inverse, I guess. Uh, shrines, is it a deck? I guess we'll see. But if anyone's going to make five colorless shrines work, it's going to be a Chaficionado, right? Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> we've got to mention this. Um, Let's just read a uh, Goshentai of Ancient Wars. That's two and a red for a 2-2. It is a legendary enchantment creature shrine at Uncommon. Many of you have probably heard by now, but shrine is not a creature type. It's actually the enchantment type, similar to a saga being uh, worded as a saga. So this is a creature, but it doesn't have a creature type. Just don't worry about it. Uh, it has first strike. It has at the beginning of your end step, you may pay one generic. 
When you do Goshintai of Ancient Wars, deals X damage to target player or planeswalker, where X is the number of shrines you control. Now, a lot of them are templated similar. They have this thing that happens to the end step. They're all creatures this time around, and they all have a cool little ability. So they tend to be formatted such that if you have one of them, it's a little below rate. This one by itself is, is probably the most solid of them. I mean, it's a three mana two two first strike. Like you'll just put that in any red deck. Uh, it's not the you know most standout card in your deck, but it wears counters well. It wears equipment well. That type of thing. If you get two of any of the shrines, then you start popping off. For example, Goshen Tide Hidden Cruelty, three and a black for a two two shrine. It has Death Touch at the beginning of end step. Same deal. You can pay one. When you do, destroy target creature with toughness X or less, where X is the number of shrines you control. So if you have both of these in the battlefield at the same time, you can pay two at your end step, kill something with toughness two or less, deal two to your opponent. Like, now we're talking. Now we're starting to pop off. And if you have three of them, God help your opponent, because, like, <laughs> they're just going to melt. Like, these shrines are just value piles. So uh, I think typically these will just kind of get snuck into decks here and there. But if there is some kind of magical, like three to four to five color green deck, I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna have shrines in it. Oh yeah, I'm also totally building uh, EDH shrines. Okay, I'll uh, I'll bring you my copy of the, uh, the the foil shrine legend from from a few sets ago. I'm never casting it in my life, so nice. It's yours. Let's chat about some top commons. So for white. Uh, just in any order, our picks for top commons. We've got Moth Rider Patrol up there. That's one white for a 1-1 Fox Warrior at common. It is flying. It is three and a white. Tap it. Tap target creature. Yeah, so this is just... It is a warrior. It's just a... Oh, yeah, it is a warrior. This is just a super solid one drop that is going to wear counters really well. The modified stuff is just going to be awesome. It does the whole attack solo thing really nicely because it's a flyer. And then later on, when it if it does get outclassed, then probably when it gets outclassed... You just start using it to remove your opponent's best blocker and let your other samurai get in. So yeah, seems like a really solid common. I we've noticed that a lot of these like one mana one one flyers have been really good in the last few sets, and yeah. I don't expect that to change here. Mm -hmm. Imagine your opponent goes this into turn two, tempered in solitude, the the red enchantment uh, that that exiles the thing when they attack alone every turn. You just groan, right? Like they're just going to be drawing cards every turn, chipping in. And sure, they can't attack with the board, but they don't have to. They're going to get so far ahead in card advantage. What's wrong with me? I just want to play like red-white card advantage decks. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Intercessor's Arrest. Two and a white. It's an aura at common. Enchant permanent. Enchanted permanent can attack, block, or crew vehicles. Its activated abilities can't be activated unless they're mana abilities. This lets you hit anything. Yeah, it's basically just like the mother of all arrests, and it's probably White's best removal spell. Just take these, play them. There's really no downside. The only the only real downside I can think of is like you might play this against a deck that cares about sacrificing stuff, and then you're kind of wasting your mana. But like you're forcing them to sack something that they didn't want to sack in the first place. So yeah, it's just good. Play as many of these as you can get. Yeah, be careful you put them, and know that there might be a little more enchantment removal hanging around main decks. I know back in Theros, we were able to play like a return to nature main deck and yeah. not feel too embarrassed about it. Uh, so know that, you know, these might not stick around forever, but white decks are going to want to end the game pretty quickly in this format from what it looks like. So I'm not super worried. And uh, last, Befriend of the Moths. We mentioned it earlier. It's the one that double jumps in the first two chapters of the saga. And then in chapter three flips into a two, four flyer. I don't know. This is just a lot of value. I feel like this is uh, the kind of common that you're going to be really happy to see. Like this, this will be a signal when you see it, like turn, uh, like pick six or seven in the draft like oh yeah i, I want to snap that up that's my prediction at least on to blue our first one here and again these are not in any particular order 
First one here is Network Disruptor, the one mana one one flyer that ETB tap target permanent, and it's just gonna do the ninjutsu thing, and it's gonna be beautiful, and it's gonna work really well, and it's just gonna be good. <laughs> Next up is Sky Swimmer Koi. That's three and a blue for a three three fish at common. Uh, it has flying, and whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. Love these kinds of effects. I can never remember. This is looting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's a 4-mana 3-3 three, three flyer. You're pretty happy with that rate, and then it lets you loot when you play artifacts. Seems pretty solid. This is seems to slot better in the, the blue-red deck, but it's there are so many artifact creatures running around, it's it's going to be good in just about any blue deck. And lastly, we have Tamiyo's Completion. This is 3 and a blue for an enchantment aura at common. It has flash, enchant artifact creature, or planeswalker. When Tamiyo's Completion enters the battlefield, tap enchanted permanent. If it's an equipment, unattach it. Enchanted permanent loses all abilities and doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. Nice. Yep. Kind of a solid blue removal spell. It's just always going to take care of something. Uh, for those that aren't caught up on the story, uh, Tamiyo's not doing so hot. <laughs> Let's check out for black. We've got a whole suite of removal spells here. First up, Twisted Embrace. Two black black for an enchantment aura. Uh, enchant artifact or creature you control. When Twisted Embrace enters the battlefield, destroy target creature or planeswalker an opponent controls. Dope. As long as Enchanted Permanent is a creature, it gets plus one, plus one. So just to be clear, if you've reconfigured like a, uh, maybe say like a rabbit battery onto one of your creatures, you could twist and embrace enchanting your rabbit battery to prevent your opponent from being able to blow it out. So like right. if they have a kill spell that says destroy target creature and they're thinking, oh, they're going to go for the... The Twisted Embrace, I saw it in game one. I'm going to blow them out by leaving this up to destroy their creature that they try to put it on. They could do that still. They could destroy the thing that Rabbit Battery is attached to, but that wouldn't actually affect the fact that Rabbit Battery can still wear the Twisted Embrace, right? Correct. Yeah, that, that's the biggest thing to look out for with this card is that if you cast this and your opponent kills the thing that it's target, like the enchant target, it just fizzles. So it will just not kill the, the creature you want it to kill. But yeah, in that case, with the rabbit battery, it will actually be able to uh, survive through that because if the rabbit battery is attached to something, it's not a creature anymore. It's just an artifact. You could still just put this on something silly, right? Like the Oni Cult Anvil? Sure. Like, yeah, you can put it on any <laughs> something artifact. that is just sitting around. It's a little bit weird. I mean, it's we've seen this effect on like Ravenous Chupacabra or something, but it's, it's weird to me that you have to attach this to something and it otherwise doesn't really do anything. Like, even if as a creature, it just gives it plus one, plus one, which I guess is a thing. But I kind of wish this was just a sorcery. Like, it just seems like a lot of extra work. It is still probably, like, one of the better black removal spells, but it's just weird. I guess it modifies stuff, say, so that, that matters. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we had this card back in Theros Beyond Death with Eroes' Blessing, and that card was a beating. That thing was awesome. And it, it did the same thing. Uh, Ended the battlefield, dealt four to a creature, a planeswalker, and gave the equipped creature, uh, the enchanted creature, plus one, plus one. This does something really similar. I'm excited to play with the Rose's Blessing again because that was one of my favorite cards from Death's Beyond Death. It triggered all the Constellation stuff, triggered all the other stuff that cared about enchantments. I think we'll have some similar stuff here with Modified. Next up, Clawing Torment. One black for an aura. It again has Enchant Artifact or Creature. It's a common. As long as Enchanted Permanent is a creature, it gets minus one, minus one, and can't block. Enchanted Permanent has, at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life. The aggro player inside of me jumped for joy upon seeing this card because uh, functionally, this is just a fatal push in, in some decks. If you're, uh, I don't know, let's let's say, remember that whole game plan I mentioned the blue-green deck could do with, uh, uh, say, like the, the one in the green for the 3-3 three, three defender or the two in a blue for the 3-4 defender. This just makes those look like jokes. 
because then their their beefy defender, which you know isn't attacking, it still has defender, now can't block. And now it's a liability. Now they're taking one damage off of it and your stuff is getting through. This pairs super well with ninjas because they just want to guarantee that they get in at all costs, right? And honestly, it seemed like some of the vehicles really want to attack for the first few turns anyway. Uh, this could you know, pick off their key flyer. And yeah, sure, sometimes your opponent will be also just as aggressive as you are and it doesn't really do anything. This isn't for those matchups, right? This is going to be amazing for an aggressive deck trying to get through a... Well, someone that thinks they're prepared for it. I, I'm setting myself a personal achievement to win with this card. Like, this deals the last point <laughs> yeah. of damage. I'm pretty confident that'll be easy to get. Uh, let's say, like, how many turns does this have to stick around in the battlefield for before it, it just kills them, right? If you put this down on turn three, uh, they're going to take just an unignorable amount of damage. They might have to remove their own creature or ram it into yours to try to get rid of it in some way. And last up here, we have Lethal Exploit. One in the black for an instant common. Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. It gets an additional minus one, minus one until end of turn for each modified creature you controlled as you cast this spell. This is not Olivia's Midnight Ambush, but you know, it's also not not Olivia's Midnight Ambush. <laughs> Sometimes you're pretty happy. No, with the it is, it turn, is literally right? not min Olivia's Midnight Ambush. <laughs> uh, unless you happen to get uh, quite a few <laughs> modified creatures on the board, in which case I don't think you're, you're too hurting for a removal spell like this anyway. I don't know. This is just a really solid two mana removal spell. It won't be hard to get the minus two, minus three from this. And if you get minus four, minus four or minus five, minus five, you're really blowing out your opponent. Yeah, it doesn't take a whole it's lot more than trick, just too. getting minus two, minus two to make this card like really good. So you only need like one or two modified creatures to be, feel really good about this card. Yeah, the fact that it serves as both a combat trick and a removal spell is very versatile. Good to have. All right, on to red here. Red's got some serious removal this time around. Um, we talked about Scrapyard Steelbreaker already. That's one of the better common creatures that we found. Three and a red, three, four, pay one, sack another artifact to give it plus two, plus one until end of turn. Just going to be great. And I am looking out for ways to jump this or get it through in some way shape or form then we also have voltage surge this is red for an instant at common as an additional cost to cast this spell you may sacrifice an artifact not something you have to do but you can if you'd like voltage surge deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker if the spell's additional cost was paid voltage surge deals four damage instead hello <laughs> better shock question mark yeah uh, i love it now it can't hit players right. which is a little sad uh, but actually, the uh, the fellow physicists and engineers out there in, in listening will have to back me up on this. The notion of voltage surge is a little bit misleading oh, and could possibly inspire some incorrect ideas about the notion of voltage. Similar to the idea of voltage drop and voltage surge, you know, it's 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 not it's not really technically how how voltage works. You should really think of it in terms of potential difference uh, across two points. Uh, in okay, like okay, but, I'm, you know, I'm cutting you that's, off. <laughs> that's just my opinion. Oh, gosh. All right, our last red card here is Kami's Flare. This is one in red for an instant at common. Kami's Flare deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker. Kami's Flare also deals two damage to that, per to that permanence controller if you control a modified creature. Wow, they like... Yeah, that's really good. They like <laughs> basically super upgraded uh, Lightning Strike. Cause yeah, this is uh, great. Yeah, on the, on the front, it only hits creatures, but then if you can manage to have anything modified, you're bolting their creature and shocking their face all in one card for two mana. Uh, every creature I control will be modified. I'm just I firmly that believe right that. Now. I'm going to put counters and equipment on everything. Also, look in the art. Am I am I seeing things? Or is there a little tiny, like, happy spirit doing, like, a little flame jump? Yep, there as, totally is. As the human's, like, burning something. There totally is. Yeah. 
That's sick. Last up here, let's chat green. First up, Master's Rebuke. We talked about this one already. Very straightforward. It's just a bite card. Uh, just kind of clarify the notation. We say fight when the two things actually fight each other, but a bite is when the creature just deals its power to the other. Again, just be careful. Some of the ones we said before, don't get blown out. When you bide your time, use this correctly, it'll be a great, uh, great rate. Next up, Jukai Preserver. I have high hopes for this thing. Uh, that's the three and a green, three, three enchantment creature, the human druid. When it enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. And you can discard it to put a plus one, plus one counter on each of up the two target creatures you control by channeling it for two and a green. Super versatile. I think every green deck will want, you know, about as many of these as you can get. Yep. No more to add. Last up, Season of Renewal. This is a bit of a speculative pick, but I've been seeing some murmurings on the internet that this card may have some action behind it. <laughs> this could be a total miss, by the way. But uh, I, I, we like to, you know, take our claim on this stuff early. Uh, that's Tuna Green for an instant. You can choose one or both. Return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Return target enchantment card from your graveyard to your hand. I just don't think it's going to be hard for Green to get both an enchantment and a creature in its graveyard. You're, you're going to be channeling stuff, trading stuff off in combat. This seems especially at home in the slower grindier decks, especially black green and, and blue green. Yeah, also this is often going to be three mana instant return two creature cards from your graveyard to your hand because there's so many enchantment creatures in this format. I do want to mention that uh, we have a pretty good track record when it comes to top commons and colors. We nailed Traveling Minister last time. Uh, we can ignore the fact that we also put Griff Rider up there. Let's just uh, pretend that that didn't happen. Blue, we nailed Lantern Bearer. We nailed Cruel Witness as, as st top stuff. We put Syncopate up there, which, you know, it was, it was kind of like that. We killed it with Bleed Dry. Blood Craze Socialite was up there, too. Gluttonous Guest, uh, less so. Red Flame Blessed Bolt, we said was good last time. A Braid, Reckless Impulse... I think that's pretty spot on green wolf strike uh sport crawler was fine uh and that last one let's just uh well early recruit i had higher hopes for <laughs> all right well that about does it for us any final thoughts for this format ben i'm excited to try this stuff out i'm particularly excited for samurai uh i, I can't wait to uh you know find the right balance of when to swing with the whole board uh when to swing with just one Seems like another interesting approach to red white. I'm very excited for modified and and, and uh, reconfigure. Uh, just kind of seeing how this stuff works in general. Some nice new texture to the limited environment, and honestly, just getting to jam some paper magic, especially with you. Like we haven't gotten to do this that long. Uh, it, it's it's gonna be a good time, I think. Oh yeah, super excited. It's gonna be great. I'm excited too. I'm actually very excited for the samurai thing as well. I was less so before I got to like actually see the whole set, but now I'm actually pretty excited to get my hands on that. And we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. It doesn't seem like there's like a dedicated control deck in this format at all, really. Like there's kind of a tempo-y thing in in the black blue decks, but otherwise there doesn't seem to be a real control deck, which I think is actually gonna be pretty green. nice. Well, blue green is just like ramp play mm. big stuff, yeah. so. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I'm excited to see how that plays out. I think it's actually going to be pretty nice. That about does it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening. Definitely check out the Discord if you're not already in it. Again, the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. If you want to support the show directly, again, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge thanks to all of our, our patrons once again, and congrats and thanks to Sean for joining. And if you want to reach us on social media, you can find us both on Twitter. Ben is at betafish1. I'm at Zach E. Hackett, and the show is at Draft Half Pod. Thanks, folks, and um, we'll see you next week. Enjoy Neon Dynasty. Well, uh, personally, I can't wait to get, get started on Neon Dynasty. Honestly, by the time many of you are listening, I have undoubtedly already drafted the Shrines deck and, and gone 7-0 because, uh, you know, <laughs> reasons. 
but uh, this world has taken a lot of inspiration from a lot of cool culture. And honestly, I don't think we've done this, but I think it's time to uh, talk some anime. Okay. I'm not a big anime person, so I may not be able to say a whole lot here, but I'm ready if you are. Well, to be honest, I, I wish I had more time to watch anime, but I have to issue a disclaimer. I watch a lot of content uh, while I'm doing other stuff. Like I, I love multitasking. I'll be like eating dinner, jamming a game of draft and, you know, I have TV on in the background. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's about the number of like things that I, I like to have happening at once, uh, you know, near constant stimulation. But uh, for that reason, I prefer to watch, you know, anime and things that just aren't in English uh, for the most part in their original language. You know, I mm. think it often uh, sometimes emotion gets lost in translation. And I've seen some uh, examples of translation that just are wrong or bad. There was a bit of a controversy with Squid Games when people mm. were looking at the translations in the in the subtitles uh, or the, the the dubs of it and saying, uh, like, this was just wrong. Like, you, you got it wrong. Uh, so I prefer to look at the like the original uh, to you know hear the original voices that were intended and to see the original subtitles however when it's subtitled then if i'm like doing multiple things if i'm like playing a game of magic or doing schoolwork or eating then i might like miss yeah, some miss of the, the subtitles thing, sure yeah and i feel bad because i feel like i'm missing out on it so when i watch anime i like to be totally dialed in but i rarely have that kind of time i don't know if anyone out here has a good solution for this besides just listening to dubs but i just i just prefer the uh the subs overall um but anyway, uh, a few uh, a few favorites out there really love Cowboy Bebop. Uh, have absolutely been thinking that it's just awesome. Um, I've been watching a bit of Demon Slayer uh, actually with my school's anime club. I'll stay after school some days, and some people even jam magic off to the side. So <laughs> that's uh, that, that's a, a good time. Uh, I've seen a bit of Attack on Titan. Um, I've gotten some spoilers for that, so I'm, I'm waiting a bit uh, until I, I go back into it. And then, of course, I've seen some some random other ones. I've seen the the free anime. Uh, some I think it was like Warren High School Host Club. I think I watched a bit of that. Um, my girlfriend is a big fan of anime too, so I've I've seen a, a bunch with her as well. So there, there's there's a lot of good stuff out there. Am I missing any of the, any of the big ones, big favorites? Uh, One Punch Man, classic, uh, good times. But honestly, I think uh, I think I'd say Cowboy Bebop is my current. Oh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, big fan of that one. JoJo is a is a lot of fun. Just utter nonsense. Just so stupid. <laughs> so much fun. That's hilarious. Yeah, I um, I don't watch a ton of anime, especially not these days. Like, it's just not something that's on my radar very much. Growing up, I really loved Dragon Ball Z, and um, I was I'm a big Death Death Note fan. Like, the actual anime, not the live action one that got botched. Um, <laughs> yeah, those two were kind of my favorites for a long time. I I thought Avatar: The Last Airbender was anime before I realized that a Japanese studio didn't make it. <laughs> so it kind of falls out of grace there but um yeah, i'm trying to think are there any others that i really was into i tried to get into um full metal alchemist like back in high school and i i mean i liked it but it wasn't something that i felt like i needed to continue i watched it with a friend and i didn't never felt like i needed to continue watching it by myself so mm-hmm. i never ended up finishing it and i know um i've heard that uh, Brotherhood is much better than the original series, so maybe I need to give Brotherhood a shot. But yeah, it's just not a genre I typically find myself thrilled to to watch or like I need to watch anime. I don't know. Mm. 
Uh, I want to leave us with a, a question for the listener. I actually stayed at, a, uh, at an anime club recently at my school, and they were partway through an episode. I only got to catch bits and pieces of it, but it was an RPG anime. Um, it might have been like called like Royal or Crown something. Um, I, th- I think what I only do you saw mean the by name RPG briefly. anime. Like, was there actually a game aspect to it, or it's based on an RPG? So it was interesting. It was kind of uh, like it was like a slice of life style. Not not quite. It, it was like a slice of lifestyle anime, like, you know, people in the real world drama between people. Th- this guy got uh, like kicked off a pro gaming team and then like started working at an Internet cafe. Uh, but he was like the best player in the world. And now he's just kind of like a casual. He's like being thrown in with the with the noobs again. Mm. Uh, so everyone's like, oh, my God, this guy is amazing. Uh, and he's kind of like keeping it low profile. I only saw like 10 minutes or, or 20 minutes of it, a few episodes, maybe. Um but I really liked it. It has a lot of like good RPG humor in it. So like within the game, within the, the anime itself, there's scenes where it's like within the RPG. Uh, and it's it's a very classic like, uh, I don't know, like World of Warcraft style, like sword fighting and, and mages and such. Uh, but it, it, there's a lot of good uh, like RPG humor, like joking about raids and like people begging for heals and the healer just kind of looking and not giving it. <laughs> it's like uh, it, it, it was, it was pretty, pretty funny. Great. It reminded, of, uh, reminded me of our of our tour days. But that's uh, that's for another sign off. Anyway, good luck at the pre-releases, everybody. And uh, be sure to post your deck lists uh, in the discord. We can't wait to see them. <laughs>